the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And a strikeout. Six today for Adam Wainwright. Yanni's got him. And a caught stealing. Catches McMahon. He's got good speed. Curveball of beauty. Back-to-back Ks. And four today. Three in a row. No, that was incredible. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, there's there's having a game plan. And then there's reading swings. And you look at what he was able to do with that sinker today. You got 11 outs with it. Um, nine of the, those outs with two strikes. And then six punch outs with it. It was a really good, really good pitch for him today. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley, we continue to watch history seemingly every night. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Last Yesterday, I guess not last night technically, was more of the same. Alex, how about this? ESPN Stats and Info tweeted this out. Albert Pujols hit a pinch hit grand slam. Adam Wainwright pitched seven scoreless innings. The Cardinals yesterday became the first team in Major League Baseball history to have a 40-year-old hit a grand slam and another 40-year-old throw at least seven scoreless innings in the same game. That is according to Elias Sports. I feel like every time Wayno was on the mound and Albert is at the plate, and honestly with Yachty behind the plate too and what he was able to do last night, throwing out a runner, all of them seemingly are doing things that we've never seen anybody else do at this age, at least not in the modern era of baseball. Every single time these guys are taking the field right now, they are doing something that is, if not unprecedented, borderline unprecedented. And yesterday was no exception to that. Yeah, it was, I mean, honestly, it was a goosebumps moment. Uh, Afterwards, you know, after we got done with the show, I saw it on Twitter pop up and I got the full experience of it. Now I know it wasn't live, but like you got to, you got to enjoy all of that. And I, I believe after... That home run, he surpassed Stan Musial for most extra base hits among Cardinals players. Like, you are legitimately, every time Wainwright, Molina, Pujols step onto the field, seeing history. And it's one thing to just see them in the games, but it's another to see them actually put forth an effort that you didn't expect from a 40 plus year old. Like I saw Will Leach tweet last night. I just witnessed Albert Pujols hit a grand slam an inning prior to Yadier Molina throwing a runner out at second base while catching a shutout performance by Adam Wainwright. And it's the year 2022. I mean, it's 
it's absurd what these three are doing. But if you're going to trust one team to find the fountain of youth with older players, for some reason, the Cardinals got that magic pixie dust that makes it work. Yeah. In those good vibrations into the locker room. Oh, I mean, we're doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't have the up. song ready. I How should've. do you say that and not have the song ready? Well, uh, I'm sorry. but I, uh, It was his birthday yesterday, yeah, man. It's been on, a man. long 24 hours for T- our guy T-Bone. T-Bone's struggling a little, struggling yeah. a little bit today. But Me too. It, it's so exciting to see it, in like, and there's a chance of history tonight because Albert is, I believe it's two total bases away from passing Stan Musial for second all-time in Major League Baseball history. So and that was the stat? It wasn't no, extra no, bases? Right. I think he's right. I think extra bases is, is also happened, but he's total, total bases. bases. You're a jerk. Too. Yeah, seriously. You're a jerk. Sorry. Backwards happy K-Man. Yeah, Just coming like from the, the top row. the audience loves you. Yeah, unbelievable. Welcome back We'll home. get into that later. But it's gonna, it, it's cool to see it all the time because like those are the guys I grew up watching. When, like, when I think baseball, when I grew up in my childhood, it was – Adam Wainwright, Chris Carpenter, but he's still not pitching. Uh, Albert Pulse, Yadier Molina. And three of those guys are still playing, and they're playing at a high level. And it's been unbelievable to see it. And, and what I was saying about the good vibrations is, I mean, just look at them. Like, I don't remember Albert ever having, like, that kind of smile and having shown that much emotion of the excitement and doing, like, the whatever that was with the throwing his hands across his chest. That's called the Superman, T-Bone. The Superman. I don't remember him doing that when he was playing with the Cardinals in his first stint. Like, it was all business, and it was all serious. And... It felt kind of like it's because the you old were the school stuff. you were the eye of the team, like you were, you were the St. Louis Cardinals, and I I think he de- he doesn't have to be that now. No, I I think I mean he's talked about this a little bit where he said previously he didn't enjoy it the way that he is now, and he's he's also said you know. I don't know that I would have had all of the accolades that I have right now if I did enjoy it yeah. the way that guys like Miguel Cabrera do or that Fernando David Ortiz, Ortiz Jr. Do. Sure, like. That just wasn't him. He was super intense at all times. He took his preparation incredibly seriously, and it was all about business. It was every day. I mean, you guys remember what the press conference is. Maybe you don't, Tanner, because you were like four. Um, But the press conferences after the games were him repeating the same few words over and over and over. If he was asked about his own performances, he would say, I'm just glad that I was able to help the team win today. He honestly, and they're not the same player, but like if you listen to Vladimir Tarasenko's post games, that's Albert Pujols in his prime. Like it was always about the team. He never wanted to talk about himself. And honestly, Yadier Molina is a little like that now where, and he probably has been that in his whole career where it's not about his individual successes it's about the team's success and unless it goes to Instagram and then there's the individual like why did I not get a gold glove you remember yeah I remember that um so to Tanner's point on the good vibes I'm gonna go with vibes instead of vibrations inside of that clubhouse guys they're 15 and 4 in their last 19 games they have outscored their opponents in this stretch 111 to 68 they have allowed 68 runs in their last 19 games. That is a remarkable number. A lot of that is because of the starting pitching that they've had since the trade deadline, but really going all the way back to, in this case, I think it's July 29th or 27th, excuse me, that game in Toronto where Wayno pitched the gym, Albert hit the righty, and everything has turned around since then. Here's Ollie Marmel talking about how good the Cardinal starters have been recently. It's a huge part of what we're doing right now and what we'll do moving forward. I mean, when we've talked about it quite a bit as far as stabilizing that rotation with Quintana and with Montgomery and then what the rest of those guys are doing, um, there is no weak spot. we got a dude going every day, and our offense is uh, contributing at a high level. So the combination of those two things is looking pretty good. 
The Cardinals have the second best record in baseball over their last 19 games. The Dodgers are the only teams that have, team that has been better, and they're 17 and four. They have the same amount of losses as you. They just happen to have played two more games than you in this stretch. Phillies are next, then the Mets, then the Braves. You are ahead of all of them in this basically 20 game stretch for the Cardinals. You guys starting to believe? You guys starting to, as we're watching Pujols do historic stuff down the stretch, Wayno looks awesome. The pitching staff has clearly, in the words of Ali Marmel, been stabilized. You guys starting to believe in this team? Like as a World Series winner? I mean, I think we all believe that they're going to contend for the playoffs. They should win this division. I think everybody at a baseline is there. And then the question becomes, all right, what's the ceiling look like? Because you're getting in, most likely, knock on wood, fingers crossed. We're all hopeful, but that's that should be the bare minimum expectation for this team as they get into the playoffs. Question, though, is are they a real contender? Are they a threat in the playoffs? Can I ask your question to another question? Sure. When was the last time we felt like the Cardinals had a team that was a serious contender last year. And I'm asking the text line this also. I don't know if people believe last year's team was. I thought the national the 17 game win streak. C- correct. But I thought the National League was a little down last year relative to what it's been. But I, I do not feel that way this year, by the way. It's a very different situation where this year I believe more in the team, but also I believe that's more what in I'm the asking. National League. I'm not looking at the National League. I'm, I'm asking when was the last time you looked at a Cardinals roster and you said this is a roster that can contend for a World Series? Because I think you got to go back to 2013 Maybe 15. I think Maybe you can make 15? the argument in 15 because of the pitching and because of how great they were at run suppression. But the offense was, we all knew that that was potentially a problem once you and, got into the playoffs. And that's why I'm asking that. Because if you got to go back to 2015 and look at that roster piece by piece, I think I would take this roster over that roster in terms of believing that they are a World Series contender because of what the pitching staff has put together. Was that the year they were just historically great with runners and scoring position. And was that the home run year too? Uh, I can't remember. That was the Brandon Moss year, wasn't it? Yeah, 15 was, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like Matt Carpenter, Matt Adams, Johnny Peralta, Colton Wong, Brandon Moss. Your outfield was Hayward Holiday, John Jay. Peter Borges. Peter Borges. Oh, boy. I I mean, honestly, just looking at this this team, I would take this year's roster against that year's roster. This year's offense is definitely better. I think this year's pitching staff is better now with what they have. I mean, that pitching staff was really, really good, man. What what you had that year out of Lackey, Waka, Martinez, Lane, Garcia, they they were all excellent. And you had zero. Like, we're right now feeling pretty good about one through four of the Cardinals rotation. You felt great every single day that the Cardinals had a starter taking them out. All of them had a sub three, five ERA that year. Five starters, all sub five ERA, all through at least 130 innings. Okay, but they've got four guys that are pitching to that performance right now. Yeah. And the offense is significantly better than what that team had. And that's why I ask that, because I believe that this team, the way that they look right now, can contend for a World Series. By the way, there are some texters that say, hey, 2015, they had 100 wins. What do you guys think this team can get to? They're at, so it's 66 and 51 right now. So you're 117 games in. So you got what, 45 games left? Yeah. yeah. Man, that was quick math. Way to go, buddy. Hey, man, I've got my moments. Uh, yesterday. I think you can win another. Standing. I think you win another 30 to 35. You're on pace right now for 92 with your current record. I, and you have the second easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball. I think you can get to 95. Yeah, I think 95 is probably I my plateau. 
I think they'll exceed that pace because of the schedule. The schedule is going to be super favorable for them. So I think they can steal a couple and bump up that pace. I think they get to about 95 wins, and at like the lowest, it'll be 90. And even then, I think you win the division at 90. Oh, if they win 90 at this point, I think it's a major disappointment. Yeah. Because that would be that's that's underperforming. 24 and 21 down the stretch. Against if you do that against teams. these teams, whoo, buddy, we're going to have some problems. Yeah. That, that will be a front huge office, disappointment. Front office would say success. Not, not anymore. Not with a new playoff format. I, I think it's 95 plus. Yeah. I think this team should be expecting 95 or more wins at this point. And that would be one of the best finishes that they've had. I think it's maybe I would have to go back and look, but maybe the best finish since 2015. So to your point, Alex, yeah, this is I, this is as good as I felt about the all around Cardinals. If you want to look at it that way, like offense, defense, run suppression, plus run scoring. Probably the best I've felt about them since 2013. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. 2015, you mean? No, 2013. Because 15, okay. I had some questions about the offense going into the I playoffs. Yeah, I'm probably with you guys there. I, I feel really good about the team because I think they're pretty solid in just about every category that you look at. But would I put them in the World Series contender list? The reason I don't think I would is just mostly because of what the NL is, the rest of the NL. And I, I still view them kind of in that second tier and towards the bottom of it when I look across the rest of baseball. Like the Dodgers are better, I think. San Diego's starting to fall off. I thought they were better, but I'm really getting concerned about them out west. And then the East, like Atlanta, the Mets. I think you're right there with Philadelphia. So I, I just think the Mets and the Braves and the Dodgers are just clearly above you. So I don't know if I would put them in that World Series contender list, but I think they got a shot. And I feel really good about them going into the playoffs. The other thing that you can't quantify, and you guys know I'm a numbers guy, I like quantifying things. You cannot quantify the feel of a clubhouse. And in 2006, they had the feel. There was the destiny of that team finding a way. 2011, same thing. They had the feel of this team is not going to be denied. There's no way they are losing in this World Series. And they just kept finding a way. In the words of Joe Buck, they will not go away. This team has some of that. And whether it's the comeback victories, the walk-off wins, the dynamite starting pitching that they've had lately, Albert Pujols' performance, or just the vibes inside of this clubhouse guys yesterday albert pujols pinch hit in a big spot bases loaded third inning against a lefty for brendan donovan how much emotion have you seen from brendan donovan in interviews this year have you seen any emotion from brendan donovan in in an interview just one no i don't think so listen to how giddy he was not about his performance But when asked about how cool was it for you to see yourself walk back into the dugout and Albert Pujols to walk up to the plate and to hit the Grand Slam. Listen to this. No, not at all. (laughs) When he comes up to bat, I'm like, I don't care who it is. That is more emotion in a seven-second clip that I have heard at any point this season from Brendan Donovan. Yeah, I remember the interview we did with Alexa Dat towards the beginning of the season. And, I mean, it was a post-game interview. Or maybe it was with Jim Hayes. Regardless, the man didn't smile. He didn't, like, all he did was answer the question strategically. He's about business. He, he wants to go out there and play ball. Man, That's, that is his goal. That is next level giggle to Mike <laughs> Schiltz. I don't know. Uh, Can Hammer we hear Schilt. the full thing one more time? No, not at all. <laughs> <I'd hit. laughs> when he comes up to bat, I'm like, I don't care who it is. Let him hit. <laughs> He sounds like us. <laughs> like He sounds like a fan watching Albert Pujols doing his thing right now. You can't quantify that. You can't put a number on that. 
You see yesterday the pictures all over Instagram. This team's leaving St. Louis, going down to Arizona, and they're wearing the cowboy suits other than Tyler O'Neill, who I think forgot the memo. Yeah, well, he was a bank robber, though, because he put the bandana <laughs> on. Yeah, he was the bank robber of the group. You can't play you one villain. You can't play cowboys without the bank robbers. You got to have one and the other. Makes sense. Got to have the villain. But yeah, I mean, look, I, I know a lot of people don't take this into consideration because it's not about how close a team is because a close team can get booted in the playoffs sure. easily. But I take I take stock in that because I've been in locker rooms and clubhouses around teams that get along and teams that don't get along. And you can tell the difference, the product on the field or on the ice. If it's a team that has quarrels or a team that doesn't perform well together outside. Thank you very much. It was it was the word of the day toilet paper I have at my house and I, I used it. Say. If like guys that, that aren't going out together after games and, and enjoying each other's presence, they're not going to get alone together through the grind of a season. But when you got a team that dresses up in cowboy outfits on an airplane going on a trip to Arizona after they just won the series against Colorado or Brendan Donovan wearing Yadier Molina's jersey and making his manager just Ali absolutely keel over it. with laughter in the dugout or Tyler O'Neill not bringing a cowboy hat to the group or Packy Naughton looking like Tanner dressing up like a cowboy like all of those things. They take stock, in my opinion, because a team that is that close-knit is a team that's going to battle for each other when you need them to. That stuff matters, man. Down the stretch, that stuff really matters, especially in this the stretch run. And I, I'm in. I really do believe in this team. I don't know where it ends. Like, this could easily lose. They could lose in the wild card round. It shouldn't shock anybody. But could they also go on a run in the playoffs? Yeah, I'm starting to believe that they really could. Coming up in 15 minutes, which team is better, Alex? The 2022 Blues or the 2021 pre-trade deadline blues. We talked a lot about which one matter or which one's better between what how they ended last year versus where they are today. What if we go to pre-trade deadline? We'll talk about that coming up at 11:30, but next, who there was a move that a lot of us wanted the Cardinals to make going into the trade deadline. I am very glad they decided not to make that move. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I would not even think about taking Madison Bumgarner on at full freight. He's making like 20-something million He's next 22, year. 22, isn't it? 14 million the next year, I believe it is. And then whatever's left on the contract for right now, I would think about taking half that money. Like, if you legitimately look at your team right now and you say, we have a shot, we have a chance to win this division and we believe that we can go on a run, then he is a guy that at least I know I don't have to go up to him. Hey, hey, Madison, how you feeling today? Mm-hmm. He's going to take the freaking ball and he's going to go try to shove. Now, the Cardinals did end up getting a guy like that. That was BT about a month before the trade deadline, talking about the possibility of going out and acquiring Madison Bumgarner, who the Cardinals are expected to see this weekend when they go down to Arizona. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. You know how they say the moves sometimes that are the best moves, the ones that you don't end up making? That's kind of how I feel about the Madison Bumgarner trade that we talked about for, what, a month? On the show, is he taking the ball every fifth day? Yeah, he's still doing that. But have you guys seen what Madison Bumgarner has done over the course of his last three starts since the trade deadline? Woof. 
It is not pretty. He's given you a little bit of length. He's gone 17 and a third innings, but he's given up 16 runs on 26 hits. And he has a 7.8 ERA in the three starts since the trade deadline. The thing is, Alex, it's not just him. It's most of the guys that we talked about at the trade deadline that ended up getting dealt as well. Have you seen Frankie Montes' numbers with the Yankees? He's been awful. Nine ERA in three starts for the Yankees. Have you seen Jake Odorizzi's numbers no, since being dealt want, to the, the anyway. Braves? Not good. No. A six ERA for the Braves. Have you seen Tyler Malley since he was traded to yeah, he's the hurt. Twins? No, he's hurt. Yeah, he's hurt. He Trick doesn't question. have an ERA. To be fair, he was really good in his first two starts, but then the last one he left because he has a shoulder issue and his velocity was down like five miles per hour. That's not what you want. I know about shoulder issues for pitchers. It's going to be fine. And then you look at Noah, Noah Syndergaard, who I think we were all fine with him acquiring him. He's been okay. He was at the level of Jose Quintana for me, where you got him, but you felt like you needed something else. But Jose Quintana has been significantly better. Absolutely. Quintana has been quality start galore with the Cardinals, barely giving up runs. And meanwhile, it's a 4-5 ERA for Noah Syndergaard. Well, and also, if the Cardinals would have played the Mets in the playoffs, Syndergaard would have opted not to pitch for that them. That is totally fair. Meanwhile... Jordan Montgomery has a 0.54 ERA since joining the Cardinals. That's ridiculous. And the Cardinals gave up their center fielder who wasn't going to play until at least September for him. Guys, at some point, we've got to ask the question, are the Cardinals continuously getting lucky with their deadline acquisitions for pitchers? Or are they just better at this than other teams at identifying who the right guys are based on what their track record is that season and what that means for projecting forward the rest of the year? I, I want to say that they're they're good at evaluating this talent. I, I mean, it's it was well reported that the Cardinals were checking in on Frankie Montas and they never pulled the trigger on it, whether it be the price that they didn't want to pay for it or they felt like he wasn't going to be the pitcher that they needed for this. But it's not just this season. The Cardinals continue to find ways to look at pitchers throughout the first half of a season, approach the trade deadline, see the available pitchers and say, you know what? I don't think we have to pay top dollar here because, you know, the teams that always go for the 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 sexy product, right? Like the Luis Castillo. Everyone wants Luis Castillo. And granted, he's been awesome. Everyone wanted Tyler Molly because he looked like the great addition to a team. And Frankie Montas was the exact same. But the Cardinals looked at that. They saw the price and they said, man, I think we can go somewhere else. The fact that they were able to pull the trigger, like Jose Quintana is one thing where they saw it and said, you know what? We think this can work in our system, kind of like the John Lester. But what they did with Jordan Montgomery, that's the part that I feel like the Cardinals are just good at this rather than getting lucky because they they recognized a pitcher on a team who wasn't going to be utilized the way that they feel like he can be utilized in their staff. And they said, we can acquire this guy and make him a top guy for us in our rotation. I'm not going to say this was luck. I think this is just, this is evaluation of pitchers throughout a season by the Cardinals. Yeah. I don't think this is luck either because you've done it back to back years. And like last year that I could have seen as a fluke and luck. Like you got John Lester and Jay Happ, but you're able to find the tweaks and you're able to put them behind your defense. And you thought the results would carry and it did. And then you could justify again this year. Okay, you go get Jordan Montgomery. We basically feel like we're getting him for a steal because we feel like he's a top three pitcher and the Yankees are just giving him away. And then Quintana, you saw him in person. So I don't think this is luck. I think the Cardinals have become very good at evaluating talent in season. And I think they're doing a very good job of that. I mean, it's hard to point to a trade. I know that like some people will point to Ozuna trade, but that's an offseason trade. But like in season, it's hard to point to a trade that I feel like they've lost in a while. And maybe I'm just forgetting one that's just kind of slipping through my mind right now. But it's hard for me to point at one and say 
they didn't really do a very good job at evaluating how he was going to fit here in St. Louis. That trade went awry in season. Even Luke Voigt worked out really well for the Cardinals. Yeah. All things considered, yeah. I mean, you end up getting, was it? Giovanni, Giovanni Gallegos yeah, okay, and that's Jason Shreve. But Gallegos, Gallegos was the key there. And Voigt, he's not doing what he was doing the first couple of years with the Yankees. Yeah, I, I think they've done a very good job. I think they're very good at evaluating talent in season. Where they've had their struggles is when you're trying to predict the future, as we heard yesterday from Michael Gersh, where you're talking about, okay, in the offseason, we've got to try and find the Jose Quintana, and they they haven't been very good at that. They've signed some pitchers that haven't worked out. I mean, we went through that list yesterday. Mike Leak didn't work out on a long-term deal. The Mads deal hasn't worked out yet, but there's still three more years of that. You look at what they brought in as depth pieces this year in the offseason. It didn't work out. That's where they need to improve, but I think they are very good. I don't think this is a fluke. I think they're very good at evaluating talent in season with this front office. So, Michael Gersh, I mentioned this yesterday, but he was on with the best podcast in baseball, Derek Gould's podcast, stltoday.com is where you find it. And they were talking about like projecting forward and are they just good at this? Are they better at this than other teams? And they were also talking about how in the off season, Hey, how do you make sure that in the future you don't have to do this though? Like, it's great that over the last couple of years, you've been able to find Jay Happ and John Lester and Luis Garcia and TJ McFarland. And then this year they did it again, apparently with, Montgomery and Quintana, but how do you go about making sure that you don't have to go to the deadline and find those guys again? Here's what I thought this was really interesting back and forth between Gould and Michael Gersh, the Cardinals general manager on trying to predict who that next guy is going to be not at the deadline, but instead in the off season. It's easy in July to say which guy you should assign for $2 million back in March it's a little harder in March to identify which two or three million dollar guy is going to be the one who's uh, got a three three four ERA in July. That's kind of the job, though, right? A hundred percent. That's that's all we do. That's all, all. All my job is is to try to help us predict the future. I can't. I can't tell if you're being slightly facetious. No, I I say because like the fact that Quintana and Montgomery had pitched well up until we acquired them is less important than predicting what's going to happen in August and September. So we're trying to predict going forward, not. So I think sometimes fans look at moves and they say, like, Chris Stratton's ERA is five. Why would you trade for him? Well, there's some things that we think suggest that he's going to pitch better than that going forward, right? If they, if there weren't, it, well, it would be dumb. Why would we do that? We're trying to predict what they're going to do going forward. I find that to be so fascinating. Like, of course, that's the that's the job, right? Like, what we do on a day-to-day basis is we're trying to predict the future as well. And listen, we're bad at it. Like, we're, we don't do particularly well. Reason I'm not in Three weeks ago, I said the Cardinals are done. It's over. There's no way they're going to be a contender. Three yeah. weeks later, I'm riding this roller coaster ride. And let me tell you, it's fun as hell right now. It was not fun <laughs> three weeks ago. And now I'm coming on the radio saying, hey, they've got a real shot here. Like, this team, based on what they've done over the last few weeks, can legitimately contend. And all of that is based on, okay, here's what they've done. Here's how that projects forward. And I do think there's a case to be made, whether it's the ballpark, whether it's Yachty, whether it's the coaching staff. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a combination of all of the above. This team seems to be really good at when they have a very recent track record of the last three months. Let's compile all of this data and then we can use that to project forward. They seem to be really good at finding guys that project exceptionally well for what they need. And some of these other teams, I'm thinking about the Yankees, for example, they don't seem to have that same success with the in season acquisitions. Look at Joey Gallo. The hell happened there? I didn't make any, any he's sense. He's working well for the Dodgers right now, though. He's worked well basically <laughs> everywhere else he's been. And then he got to the Yankees, a place where I would have assumed this guy's going to be excellent and didn't work. 
And I think part of that is it he just broke in front of the Yankees um, media culture out there. Like it's it's really hard to play in New York. There's a ton of pressure out there. It's different in Texas. It's different in L.A. But he gets there and it, it just he crumbled. I think that's the case for some guys here in St. Louis. But the Cardinals know mental makeup wise and also physical makeup. These are the guys that are going to work here. And oh, by the way, you look at the way that they're utilizing their pitches like Jordan Montgomery is not the same pitcher here as he was in New York. Jordan Montgomery in New York threw his four-seam fastball 8% of the time. Do you guys know what it is since he's been here in St. Louis? Assuming it took a pretty decent uptick. I'll go 15%. Say, yeah, because it's got to be somewhere between 10 and 20 because he's using it a lot. 27%. Wow, that's more wow. than I expected. That is three times as often as it was previously in terms of the proportions. He has completely eliminated his cutter. He was throwing it about 6% of the time in New York. He has not thrown one yet here in St. Louis. The changeup has gone down in usage just a bit. The curveball is right around the same. Really what he's done is he's taken some of those sinkers, turned them into fastballs. He's getting more strikeouts as a result, and that's playing up for him here in St. Louis. So instead of looking at like a four in terms of your starting rotation, now he's a legit number three for the Cardinals, and they unlocked that. They deserve a lot of credit for what they were able to do in terms of identifying talent and going out there and getting the best out of them. They did it with him, and I don't want to undersell what they've gotten in Quintana either. He's been excellent for them ever since he came over. The key to all of this, don't sign a free agent starting pitchers. Trade for him at the deadline. Honestly, don't even sign a free agent bat. We're not don't good at don't sign free them. agents. That's kind of where I'm at now. Make trades. Make trades. Trades. That's it. You've got the farm system for it. I mean, yes, I'm being a little facetious. Oh, come on, Tanner. Facetious. I knew I could do it there. But I'm also not because them signing guys have not worked out. Unless they've signed a player from the Korean or Japanese baseball league. Otherwise, all of the successes have been trades. You have a farm system now that is probably one of the best in baseball for the talent. There's no reason that I would be signing free agents unless they're one year really cheap deals. And I can DFA them if they don't work. I'm making trades the rest of the way through. I, I continue to say what the Cardinals did last offseason was the right way to go about it. They just picked wrong. They picked the wrong guys. If they, instead of picking TJ McFarland, brought back Luis Garcia. Oh, or if instead of going out and thing. getting Whitgren, they get Garcia. Like one for one in terms of that. Or Colome. Yeah, like the, you're Remember looking Colum at it. Compl- I tried to tell him you're looking at it completely differently well, in that situation. I was better at predicting the future than the Cardinals were. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line questions and answers Garcia. coming up in 15 <laughs> minutes. But next, which team is better on paper? The 2022 St. Louis Blues is currently constructed or the pre deadline 2021 St. Louis Blues. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is currently constructed to the Blues at the end of last season a lot. But yesterday I was doing the fast lane. Alex is going to be in with the guys later on this afternoon as well. And by the way, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The thing we have not done a whole lot of is comparing this team to the one that the Blues had before the trade deadline last year. And Alex, I think that's maybe even the better way to compare them now that I think about it, because it's not as if the Blues have no options. Once they get to the trade deadline, they will have the ability to make another trade. Now, it'll be kind of like last year where to bring something in, you've got to send something out. Maybe you have to give up a significant resource to have somebody else take on some money in a deal. But 
you can make it work if you really need something as we get closer to the trade deadline. So I wanted to ask you as our Blues insider, the Blues pre and post game host, the award winning Blues pre and post game host. I don't know if that's true or not, but we're going to go ahead and make that true right now. Changing the label on my Twitter real quick. Hold on. What do you think is better? This version of the Blues right now or last year's pre deadline Blues? I think it's this version of the Blues right now. And save your texts at the Year Comfort Service text on at 65780. Of course you're going to say that. You're a homer. Uh, looking at it written down, uh, uh, they're really comparable teams of what that trade deadline team was, pre-trade deadline team was last season, and then the start of this year's team. Of course, the difference is going to be David Perron not being on this roster but I, I think you're deeper on the offensive side than what you were pre-trade deadline last season. Yes, you had Perron, and yes, you had all these goal scorers, but you had no fourth line, and you had no depth. This season, you have a fourth line, which some people might think it's something. Some people might think it's nothing. You have the depth. I mean, you've got three guys right now could, that could play for you that were playing in the NHL or one of the best players in the American Hockey League last season. Your defense is absolutely better, and it's deeper. I mean, your top six last season before the deadline, Scandella, Pareko, Krug, Falk, Mikola, Bortuzzo, Jake Wallman was your seventh defenseman. You feel comfortable with that this season? Because it's Letty, Pareko, Krug, Falk, Mikola, Bortuzzo, and Perunovic or Rosen as the seventh defenseman. So the two areas that I know people are going to go to and say there's no way that it's better is not having David Perron and Vili Husso not being on this roster. But they're banking on Vili Husso's need not necessary this season because Bennington played so well in the playoffs and they think he can be back to his form and Thomas Christ can handle the load. And David Perron at the trade deadline last season had 26 goals and 29 assists. And on the power play, he had 25 of those 55 points. It's going to be difficult to fill that void, but at the deadline, Braden Shan had only played 62 games because of the rib issues and he had 24 goals, which is still a really good season. Yeah, I feel like he's part of that team. Ryan O'Reilly had only 17 goals and 51 assists, or 51 points. But they're still on the team, so I would say that's one but what one. I'm say- But what I'm saying is you're you're expecting more from Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen this season when healthy than last year, and then you throw in the Jake Neighbors conversation into this. So I think as I look at it, I think this team is set up deeper than last year's team. So I think it's pretty simple. David Perron versus Jake Neighbors, that's your argument in the front. Uh, fourth line versus no fourth line. It's pretty much how it breaks down. Last year, you didn't have one. This year, it looks like you should going into the season. We'll see how it goes. Uh, the big things for me, though, I, I think it's Ville Husso versus Grice. Like, that's a really big difference in terms of what you're expecting from the goalie this backup goalie this year versus what you had last year in your backup goalie. And then the defensive pairings, right? The top four, you've got Letty and then one of Scandella or Mikula versus last year, you had Scandella and Mikula both in the lineup every single night. Uh, as your top versus third pairing left left handed defensively, I think it's almost a draw for me. Like, I think they're kind of the same. They go about it in very different ways, but I, I think that both teams had unique advantages over one another. Last year you had an excellent backup goalie. This year I have no idea what you're going to get out of your backup goalie. Last year you had one of the most productive right wingers in hockey this year. You've got a guy in Jake neighbors who I I don't know what you should expect out of that, but you've also improved in a huge way defensively and with your fourth line. So how does that come out? I think it's in the wash. I, I think they're basically the same. If you had me to lean one way or the other, I would probably take last year's team just because I think David Perron is such an important piece 
to what you're trying to accomplish. And when you take that out, I do wonder if there's a little bit of a Jenga effect where you took out a bigger piece of the puzzle than what you were expecting initially. And it's more than just the production on the ice. It's also everything that he adds to your team off of the ice. So that's my big concern. But on the ice, just in terms of the overall statistic and what you're looking for, I I think they're kind of the same. Like, I think they're basically the same teams leading into the trade. I think I think you're going to be able to have a judgment on this once you see how this defense plays. Because I think that was the number one. I'm not even looking at the Thomas Grice thing because, look, if Jordan Biddington doesn't perform well, then we're all going to agree that that was a bad decision to move on from Billy Huso or not get a better upgrade as a backup goaltender. To upgrade the defense, you couldn't have gotten a better better, uh, goalie in there because you didn't have the money. Yeah, I, I mean... You could have got Charlie Lindgren, which maybe he's an upgrade because... But then it's a three-year deal. Again, what did you... Did you want a more upgrade? I think this is why they, they're they putting all of their chips in Jordan Bennington. And if it doesn't work, Correct. that's on them. But I think it's going to come down to the defense. What were we talking about after the first month of the season with this team? Boy, their defense needs help. Jake Wallman was playing in your top four. Nico Mikola was playing in your top four. Now you have Nick Letty there. I know a lot of people don't like the Nick Letty signing. A lot of people are viewing this as, why would you give him that type of money? I understand that view at it. But if Nick Letty is better than what you had for the majority of the season, up until April 21st last season, you're a better team, in my opinion. Now, you are losing David Perron, and you're losing those power play points. But again, you're going into a better season for Jordan Cairo, more of a season for Robert Thomas. Like, at least I'm looking at it the way that the Blues are trying to look at this and say, we're expecting all of the production to, to continue to increase from these guys. We know how that works, though. That's not how it goes typically. Like, you, you can expect that, but then somebody's going to have a down year. Somebody else is going to get injured. And I'm not trying to be negative. That's where the depth comes into play, though. Yeah, but, but the, last year they had that, too. If they're not getting that from those players, that's where you go to your defense. If you're not getting that from your players last season, you're in, you're in a hell of a trouble because your defense was bad. At least now you can look at it and say, our defense is more improved than what it was last season. So maybe that makes Jordan Bennington better. Maybe that takes more pressure off the forwards. Maybe we have a better season. You ready to get into some of these promos? Because it's not just about the team on the ice. It's about to get, it's about the giveaways off of the team on the open. Rate these on a scale of one to five. Wait, wait say don't what? get fired. Say rate what? these on a scale of one to five. Okay. Least interested to most interested. Oh. Don't get yourself fired. Okay. Well, five is on all of them. Reminder: You are the Blues award-winning pre and post game host. I just told you five on all of these. Are you kidding me? October fifteenth, Columbus Blue Jackets in town, and you, the fans, are getting a team calendar. One to five. What are you rating it? Oh, I love I, five on this one. I love team calendars. I could use a calendar, so it's definitely a team five. calendars with the games, the schedules, and I'm assuming you're going to get a nice picture of a Blues player. I'll put this one at a five. I used to always look forward to these. We had one of these in my college radio station every year. We had the yep. Blues calendar. So love this me is some a calendars. Five. I'll give it a three and a half. Okay, don't get fired. I'm I'm looking forward to it, but we're just getting warmed up, baby. We got a lot more here on this schedule. We're warming up, and I'm at a five already. Magnet schedule giveaway on October 26th with the Edmonton Oilers in town. I mean, you get to see Connor McDavid, yeah. and you get a magnet put up on that refrigerator right next to your daughter's first grade card. How old do you think my daughter is? At least two. 
No. You've got seven of them, so they've got to be getting oh, up there. There's just two of them. I only have two of them. I'll put this at a four. I was going to go three with the magnetic schedule because I don't really look at things on my refrigerator. Oh, well, you're going to change that. Well, I know. I'm going to have to. When your but 17th child is coming in, you're going to have to Edmonton, find some room on there. Hey, for there's 17 children. Cards. I'm going to have to start a GoFundMe because I cannot afford that. Yeah, I'll fair. put this at a four because I get to see Connor McDavid, and that's always exciting. Yeah, I think it's more about who I'm seeing. I, I'm yeah. going to four because I've already got a calendar. Yeah, I got and, my, I got my big I calendar truly, against Columbus. I, there might be something on my fridge, and I have no idea. Like, I yeah. never look either. I've never looked at my All fridge right. or anything on it. Mine is just accumulating uh, wedding invitations right now. Yeah. There's just, like... I don't know who these people are, but I guess we're going to this wedding soon. Do you ever have that soon. moment where you, I, like, you put pictures on there, like my wife will put pictures up there, and I'm like, who is this? It's like, oh, oh yeah. that's our friends. But I'm not kidding. We are no going idea. to weddings where I'm like, who? I got who one out like a year ago, and it was like the Kylie's. I was like, who the hell is that? Okay. Oh, wait, I work Bleep with that off, guy. Man. I threw that one away. All right, here's another good one. This is for your kids, Alex. Cheaper by the dozen household. Going to Louie's birthday party November 3rd against the Islanders. Kids can visit Louie and his friends pregame for his birthday party in the district. My birthday is one week later. If I had kids, I would definitely be going to celebrate with Louie. I still love Louie, so I'm this is one to five. What you got? Uh, Exciting. Looking forward to this with Louie and his buddies. I'll put this at a three. Okay. Like to go check out the mascot. This next one, I'm gonna just go ahead and throw this out here for both of you. It's an auto five. November 10th, San Jose Sharks in town. Free beer night. Oh, free hot dog night. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Salute to military night presented by Boeing. Dude, the videos that they they put up on the screen throughout these games, they'll make you cry. And you cry a lot. You'll cry more than you usually cry at 2.15 once our show's over. Now we're getting into We're really warming up here. January 10th, Dollar hot you're going to want to be at Enterprise Center. Fun story. I'm going to beat all of these. And you're going to want to be there <laughs> early. One of the first 12,000 fans. I bet you I'll be there before all of you. To get a Blues Fleece Blanket oh! Giveaway. <laughs> I've been in need of one of these. I know. I it's do need be more cold. blankets. January 10th, yeah. right in time. I do need more blankets at my house because my dog has destroyed a majority of them. There we so go, and I'm fine sure for this one. Stop it with the 17 up. kids, man. <laughs> Damn. All right, we continue. <laughs> February 16th. By the way, that was a five easily. Someone said, grow up, guys. Nobody puts things on the refrigerators anymore. Be adults and hang a cork board. Okay. Well. <laughs> it's unnecessary, sir, madam. This is a fun one, too. On February 16th against the New Jersey Devils, the first 12,000 fans entering the stadium will randomly receive a mystery bobblehead giveaway. It could be, could be. Okay. Justin Falk. Ooh. Colton Pareko. Braden Shen. So, tell me Nick Letty. Letty. Robert Thomas! <laughs> I want a Robert Thomas one. All right, I'm excited. Thing, do you think that's the center or the lead singer? Oh, Which one do you think that lead is? Lead singer. Rob Thomas. Of who? Yeah, I'm right. five. Yikes. Yikes. No idea. Close enough. Uh, all right, the final one. This is a big one. February 28th. Is it the final day of February this year? Is it a leap year? We don't know. February well, 28th. Well, you do know there's a calendar. <laughs> I can look at that for and you. And when I like. get my team calendar, I'll I gotta know. wait until we get And my magnetic schedule. It's not a leap year, by the way. On February 28th. The first 12,000 fans entering Enterprise 
for the Blues versus the Seattle Kraken. Release the Kraken! Jaden Schwartz back in town. Vince Dunn, oh, I think, still plays for the Kraken back in town. I thought it was a Jaden Schwartz giveaway. I'm like, what? <laughs> the Blues yearbook giveaway! <laughs> What's your number one? You got one giveaway that you can go to get. Oh, this bobblehead. Year. Bobblehead. The bobblehead's random number yeah, one. I'm Here's how I rank them. Bobbleheads one, calendar two. No, yearbook two, calendar three. Now, you know oh, what? See, I'd probably go calendar two, yearbook three. I like those yearbooks. I collect them. I'm all about. Gotta catch them all, man. I'm all about something that's going to have practical. Oh, usage. yeah. You want to go to the Louie birthday party. You'll get kicked out of that, man. You can't go around that. The fleece blanket giveaway got my name written all over it you guys know i get cold in here i i'm freezing you, you keep are this thing boy. like a meat locker and i don't need that so i'm gonna get the fleece blanket giveaway leave it right here next to my spot in the studio and i'm never gonna be cold again if you wear five a blanket when we're on the air i might have to slap you i'll do that soon okay Coming up in 10 minutes, would you rather have the 2021 or 2022 version of Goldie, Arenado, and O'Neal? Kevin had a great text. Said, where's the Kadri water bottle night? That was well done, Kevin. Maybe we should put set one of those up. I think so. The first 10,000 fans get a Kadri water bottle? I have access to that water bottle. You want to go find one? One of our one? punishments for football picks this week when you lose is emptying the 10,000 water bottles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that, that would be, so be awful. <laughs> we that have to empty be... them into the fountain out there. You fill up the fountain in yeah. the wintertime. Okay, oh, I like that it. That would be awful. Questions and answers is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. I forgot. It's Ask Us Anything today. 65780 is your comfort service text line. Fridays are very different than the typical 1145 it's Friday, segment. Friday. Gonna get down singer. on Friday. Name that singer. Oh, I forgot her name. Carly Jensen. No. No, close. Rebecca Not Black. Yes. Wait, is Carly Jensen? Damn. Is that even a singer? Yes, that's yes, it is. That's a real one. Can you okay. name a Carly Jensen song? She's the one that sings, uh, I'm the one that was it up trending I when I was growing up. No, Carly um, Jensen's a gymnast. This is embarrassing for crap. you. What's the one I'm thinking of? Carly Rae Jensen. Carly Rae right? Jepsen. That's, that's the one I'm thinking She's of. She's a Jetson. Sorry. It was a it was a, a cartoon back What's when we were song? younger. I'm going to have to look it up during break. I can't remember what the one is I'm thinking Call of. Call me, maybe. Yeah, call uh, me, maybe. All right. Yeah. 65780 is your comfort service text line. Nah, for, I, I didn't actually. Ear. I'm looking at the text line right now. For Ask Us Anything, if hey, Jordan I Walker and Nolan Gorman become everyday crazy. players for the Cardinals next season, where do they play and who would they replace? So Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman. Mm-hmm. Nolan everyday Gorman players. would be everyday at second base. Or DH. Or DH. And if he were to play second base, I think Tommy Edmond is your shortstop, replacing Paul DeYoung. Jordan Walker, I think it's simple. It's either Tyler O'Neill or Lars Newpar. Probably Lars Newpar because they expect bigger things from Tyler O'Neill, but it's one of those two. Yeah, I'm with you. Nolan Gorman would be DH probably because I think they really like Tommy Edmond's defense. And then t- for me, Walker would be either right field or left. If he's left field, I think it's because they put O'Neill in a trade package. And if it's right field, it's just because um, they just don't see Newbar having continued success. We may hear a comment at the end of the year where I was like, well, you know, I uh, think we mm-hmm. capped off our uh, offensive potential with Lars Newbar this year, just like you did with Sosa. And he was well right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think that you guys are correct. So I don't need to add anything more. Right field for Jordan Walker, maybe a little bit of center, depending on how things go. And 
DH with a little bit of second for Nolan Gorman. I do think that he probably fixes or finds himself in the outfield as Himes next year, though. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, if you could have one beer for the rest of your life, oh, what would it be? Simple. Mick Ultra Cactus Lime. Boom. Bought myself a six pack of those a couple of days ago. I've enjoyed one every evening. Uh, I would probably go. Isn't that a seltzer? No. no I don't, I don't think, think it is. Seltzer. It's just Mick Ultra. I would probably go with uh, a Zwickle from Urban Chestnut. That's my favorite beer of all time so far. So I would probably have to go with that. Oh, I see. Which these are real. These are beers, technically. The cactus lime ones. Yeah, yeah. they're delicious. Have you tried one? I uh, not they're not fantastic. a fan of sweet stuff. So not for it's me. It's not sweet, man. It's a lime. When was a lime ever considered sweet? I I would probably go Bush Light. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say. That's my go-to softball drink. Yeah, I you can drink them in any scenario, and mm-hmm. it works. So Budweiser's I would probably go Bushlight or yeah, Bud Bud Heavy would be my my second option there. <laughs> Alex seems like the type of guy to buy a beer and put lime in it. <laughs> Six five seven eight. By the way, let people drink beer however they want to. Yeah, stop shaming right. people's beer tolerances. Jeez. Uh, Six five seven eight zero is your cover service text line for ask us anything. From the 314 guys of the theme nights for the Blues, which one are you most looking forward to? Did you see that they have a Margaritaville night? What would Jimmy Buffett do? <laughs> Got to turn on is that, that microphone, even a buddy. Song? Yeah, that's one of his songs. I don't remember which one it is, but. Got to turn on your microphone next time. I thought this it was Margaritaville night is the one for me. I, I, I don't know. Check them out. They've got these shirts. That- I've never been a Jimmy Buffett fan. I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert, actually. Yeah, it was a great time. I Absolutely saw Jimmy Buffett time. at a Sammy Hagar concert, so I guess I've seen him, but my wife is a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. Never have been. It's weird. So are you going to answer the question of which theme night is most intriguing to you? Uh, the Hockey Fights Cancers Night is always the, the intriguing one. And every time they bring out the people who beat, they have one person who beat cancer, they ring the bell, that always gets me. And I love watching everyone hold the signs up. I would probably say I, I like the bobblehead one. I, I enjoy having a bobblehead or like a replica ring or something like that. That would listen. definitely be no, nice. No, he didn't. He, did, he didn't even know the yeah, question. Those was. are the giveaway nights. Sorry, yeah, sure. the theme Right or true or false. I heard Jimmy Buffett and he I'm jamming over here. He didn't hear what the question was. Of course he didn't. He's looking up Carly Rae Jepsen conversations. He heard Alex say hockey fights cancer and night. No one, and he no assumed, oh, we're giveaway. talking about giveaways again. Yeah, he's looking up Carly Rae Jepsen songs. No. That's not me. I got $1,000. Say we end this segment. Hey, I just met you. Yeah, guaranteed. No, now he's not going to yeah, do it. Now he's yeah, now he's not because yeah. he's going to $1,000. 65780 is the Fire Air Comfort Service text now. line. Uh, final couple of ones here from the 314. If you could have one, what would you rather have in St. Louis, the NFL or the NBA? Mine's NBA. I'd rather have the NBA. I, I want to go to NBA games. I probably would get season tickets to an NBA if there was a team here. And you're t- talking about my money with the hell is on. <laughs> Just getting courtside tickets. And him food at You and BT hanging games. out together with his green seats, your uh, courtside seats. I'd, you love to have, split those? I'd love to have green seats. Maybe BT can hook me up one time. I would definitely say NFL. I I don't I don't really have that much interest in the NBA. I watch it, but I, I can't really get into it. I mean, hell, everybody gets into the playoffs, so don't have to watch the regular season. So I'd have to say the NFL. I'd much rather watch football that 16 or 17 weeks, I guess, and then the NBA just I watch football every Sunday like and I kind of enjoy not having a team to be excited and get let down by you realize the NBA season is almost exactly one for one with the hockey season right yeah I do and there's plenty of hockey teams that do a season when there's an NBA team there are you the blues pre and post game host it's fine guess where they play 
where the blues Same play. Place. That means I'll be there. Feels problematic for you. Come on, man. I would go NFL just because of the way that the seasons line up. I think it would be easier for us to be able to really enjoy an NFL team in town as opposed to an NBA team. They would have to win right away to compete with the Blues here in St. Louis. I think you could do it, but it'd be a little tougher to compete one for one when you've got 82 games for both as opposed to a eight-game home home schedule for the NFL. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into some NFL quick hitters, including one coach who says that his quarterback throws the most accurate catchable ball he's ever seen. Is it Aaron Rodgers and the wide receivers can't catch him? Might be surprised by who said that. We'll get into that coming up <laughs> at 12:15, but next, would you rather have the 2021 or 2022 version of Arenado, Goldie, and O'Neal? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. What would Jimmy Buffett do? We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Arenado with a drive. In the deep left. It's at the wall. Gone! Into the Yankee bullpen. Bush Stadium erupts. Three-run homer. Arenado. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Broke his microphone. I don't know what just happened, but I've got stuff falling all over. Right, or he broke his microphone. He broke his microphone. I don't know what's happening. Might be everyone's best day ever. You can't talk anymore the rest of the day. I hope everything's all right over here. Can you guys hear me right now? Am I on the air? Unfortunately, all right. yes. Uh, six five seven eight zero is your cover service text line. I want to hear from you guys. Would you rather have the twenty twenty one version of Tyler O'Neill, Nolan Arenado, and Paul Goldschmidt, or the version we're seeing this year? And I find this to be interesting because Alex, you look at last year. Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt were legit MVP candidates. Nolan Arenado put up the overall production numbers. Like if you look at the counting stats, 30 plus home runs, 100 plus RBIs, that all looked great. But you look down at the OPS and you're like, man, it was only 800. You look back at last season and compared to what he's doing this year where it's 100 points higher, it, it doesn't really compare. Goldie is having a legit MVP season this year. He is also 100 points higher in terms of his OPS, 200 points actually. But O'Neal is basically non-existent in terms of the production. So would you rather have two dudes that are just overwhelmingly great with Goldie and Arenado this year or three guys that are all really good? With what you had last year out of those three, which side would you go on for this, Alex? I think I'd go last year's. I mean, you got three guys who hit over 30 home runs. And I know Nolan Arenado only hit 255 and the on base was 312. But, I mean, you're still getting 34 home runs and 105 RBIs from Nolan Arenado. That is a true middle of the order bat. But you just don't have that third bat this season. I mean, your third bat this season is Albert Pujols against lefties, and that's it. Why do you hate Albert Pujols? I don't hate Albert Pujols, but I said lefties. I'd like him to do righties, too. Maybe he should get more at-bats against righties. In 15 minutes, we'll talk about that. All right, I look forward to it. I'll be listening. But I think I would go last year's Goldie, Arenado, Tyler O'Neal. I know I can lock in 90 home runs. I'm in on that. Yeah, I'm with Alex. I think I would rather have the versions of last year where you have three really good bats, and now this year, look, you've got two solid bats, but I don't know if you can 
win with just two solid bats. I mean, you look at the discrepancy between, I mean, there's only two guys driving in runs for this team, and that is Goldie and Arnado. I mean, there's a 34 RBI difference between second place, which is Nolan Arnado, and third place, which is O'Neill at 41. I mean, you look at last year, I get it. Arnado and Goldie were not at that MVP caliber level, but they were still really solid. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, he still hit 30 home runs and drove in 100-plus RBIs to Nolan Arnado. So I, I would much rather have what you had last year with those three guys and how they were playing because I thought the lineup was a little bit deeper when you got three guys playing well compared to now where it's like, okay, I got two awesome dudes, and then I just feel like there's a drop-off. And that's what the Cardinals have been searching for all years. They've been looking for that third bat. And I think they're starting to find it with their platoons but I think it's been a lot different compared to what last year's team was. Yeah, last year you had two MVP candidates, Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arenado wasn't, but he still hit 35 home runs and 105, or 30 plus home runs and 105 RBIs. This year you have two MVP candidates and the third is not, and he's hitting like 190. Wins above replacement is not the end-all be-all, but I'm just going to use it kind of as a catch-all number in this instance, so I want the audience to know up front this is not me arguing for either side, but... Just as a way to have a frame of reference for what they did last year versus this year, here's where we are. Last year, O'Neal, Goldie, and Arenado combined for roughly 15 wins above replacement. They were 15 wins better than your replacement-level players. This year, with Tyler O'Neal counting so far for 0.5 wins above replacement on the season. I'm surprised he counts for 0.5. They are on pace for 19 wins above replacement. Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt have been overwhelmingly great. Those guys, their excellence so far this year has been so incredibly great that I think I'm leaning towards this season because you just don't get years like this. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt on the season, I look at his numbers every day and somehow I'm still surprised that he's putting up these numbers. He's batting 335 on the season in the year of our Lord 2022. This should be impossible. Nobody hits 335 for a season. And he's doing that right now. For him to do that in 20, I, I just can't believe it. Nolan Arenado at Bush Stadium, where it's supposed to be impossible for right-handed hitters to slug, is slugging 550, and somehow he's been slugging a higher percentage at home than he has on the road this year. I understand that if you just we're talking about three players here and I've only mentioned two because the third has for most of the season been non-existent when it comes to the offensive production. I'll still take those two, man. Those guys have been so great this year that they make players around them even better. You can plug guys in the two hole right now and they become better because they're batting in front of Arenado and Goldie. So I think I would lean towards this year and you go into the playoffs this year. If nothing else. I know I can count on those guys to be great, if nothing else. Last year, what was your level of confidence in Tyler O'Neill going into the playoff series? But well, it wasn't just good Ty- O'Neill heading into the playoffs. But it wasn't just Tyler O'Neill though. You still had the same two guys, but they weren't the same last year. Goldie was re- Goldie was awesome last year. Don't get me wrong, not this. Arenado was really good last year, but I, he wasn't anything. Close but if you look at like this. the final say, stretch of the season, they were hitting like this. I say my in my my confidence level didn't change in. Goldie and Arnado from last year to this year when we really? get to the playoffs. Yeah. Like, oh, this year I, when Goldie comes that, up to the plate, I expect something I know, incredible. But to I've been hurt time. so many times in the playoffs of expecting great hitters to be successful in the playoffs and not show up. Well, not just that for me, but like I know, like I know that when Goldie comes to the plate now, and I know when Arnado comes to the plate now, that I might see something special because they've been awesome. 
I kind of felt that way last year. And I know that Goldie's numbers weren't even close to what he's doing this year because, yes, what he's doing this year is just absurd. He's almost 100% above league average in hitting. And Nolan Arnato's been at an MVP level, too. But I don't think my expectations, like, took this massive skyrocket of what I'm expecting from this year to last year. Because, like, last so, year, I know Goldie Arnato had down years. I still thought they were going to do something special because I know they're that caliber player. And I know Arnato's batting average and on-base didn't replicate what you're seeing this year. But he still, like I said, he still had 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. I know that's a good season. So I knew that I could see something from Goldie and Arnato. And I knew last year I was going to see something from Tyler O'Neill. I felt confident in Tyler O'Neill going to the playoffs. And this year, I just I feel feel the same level of confidence in Goldie and Arnato. I just don't have that third guy that I know who I'm going to rely yeah, I, on. I just totally disagree. Like I, my confidence level is so much, especially Nolan Arenado this year than it was last year. Alex, you mentioned last year, Arenado kind of did stuff that he's been doing this year. I mean, last year down the stretch, so September, when it was one of his best months of the season, his best month was in May when he just was great. 300 batting average, 950 OPS. That's basically what he's been on the season. But in September of last year, when the Cardinals were going through that streak and he was a big part of it, he hit 260 this year on the year. He's batting 295. He had an on-base percentage last year in September of 315. This year on the season, he's at 360. Slugging percentage last year in September was 550, which is the same as it has been so far this year. I, I just trust these guys more. Okay, right but, but what Nolan Arenado did in that split, what did Tyler O'Neill do in that stretch last season, and what did Paul Goldschmidt? Because what I'm saying is I think what you're getting right now from Arenado and Goldschmidt, you got in that second half last year from O'Neill and Goldschmidt and Arenado. But that was for a month. Like, if you're telling me for the season which one would I rather have, I would rather have this version the season's of Goldie great, Arenado. But I, going into the playoffs is what I really want from those guys. And, I mean, you're getting MVP candidates right now with these two, absolutely. But going into the playoffs last year, you were getting the MVP. MVP performance from Goldschmidt and O'Neill. And my argument is the fact that you did not have, or you had that production from Arenado. You don't have that this season. Yeah. Well, we don't, we don't know what Tyler O'Neill is going to look like in September. Like this is the, the fear of the unknown or the benefit of the unknown, right? Last year going at this point in the season, Arnado wasn't having that stretch run that we're talking about right now. We hadn't gotten to September yet. Tyler O'Neill hadn't had that stretch run that he had in September yet. Now, he had a much better season to this point than what he's had so far this year, but we hadn't seen those performances, and Arnado at this point in the season hadn't really had a great month since May. We were talking about how offensively, this is not the player that we all expected him to be. Defensively, he was still excellent. But offensively, it was a big-time down year for him in terms of the rate stats as opposed to the the counting stats overall. And then you got into September. They were hot. You had Goldie with an 1100 OPS in September, Tyler O'Neill with a thousand OPS in September and Nolan Arenado with an 867 OPS in September. That's the stretch run that you're talking about. And so I totally get where you're coming from. We can't project that right now because we don't know what Tyler O'Neill is going to do. So I can only go off of the information that I've got available to me. And so far those guys, Goldie and Arenado have been basically for the season, what they were last September. I'll take that. I'll take that version of those two, even though it means I know that I have a replaceable player in Tyler O'Neill. And I was just going to say, I, I think the other reason I would say this, too, is because I think, and I know that Golden Arnold didn't have those seasons last year, but, I mean, I think it's still something that the Cardinals are still saying, hey, Tyler O'Neill helps the offense reach its ceiling. I mean, they felt last year after that, after once they got eliminated, they felt that the offense had reached a ceiling because they had all three guys that they trusted in Goldie, Arnado, and O'Neill. And the fact that they don't have that third guy, even though Goldie and Arnado are playing at MVP caliber levels, and they're still saying, hey, we need O'Neill to get going, that, that tells me that I would rather have the 2021 because they feel like that's when the offense is at its best, when all three guys are clicking. I get it, Arnado's numbers were down, but I still think you had trust in Arnado you know even what's funny? this year. 
I would rather have last year's trio for that construction of the team and this year's trio for this construction of the team. See, I was just going to say, I would rather have this year's roster with last year's three hitters. Oh, I would go the opposite because I think you've got more depth this year so you can make up more easily. That's what I'm saying. Like this year's roster, but give me Arenado, Goldschmidt, O'Neal from last year. Yeah, we're arguing the same thing but in different ways. (laughs) I I would say that it's less important to have all three contributing this year because of the depth of the roster, whereas last year you had no depth whatsoever, so you needed all three to be significant contributors. If Tyler O'Neill last year was having the season that he is having this year, your team's not making the playoffs last year. Does that make sense? That's mm-hmm. that's the way that I would kind of look at it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I think uh... coming up in 15 minutes, would you <laughs> would you consider using Albert Moore versus right-handed pitching? NFL Quick Hitters is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including Alex. If I told you there was an NFL head coach who said my quarterback has the most accurate catchable ball he's ever seen, who would you guess that coach was? Pete Carroll. (laughs) 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 That's definitely a Pete Carroll quote if I've ever heard of one. That one got me. Um, So two teams come to mind. Green Bay and Miami. I'm going to side with Miami on this one because I'm imagining Mike McDaniel is just seconding what Tyreek Hill has been saying all offseason long. You a little droopy over there? <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my microphone. Just going to hold it right here for the rest of the show. Uh, it is indeed Mike McDaniel, my guy with the Miami Dolphins. BK of the NFL. The skill set's crazy. I mean, the dude is right handed. You hear me? Yes. (laughs) He's right-handed, and he throws lefty. And when he throws the ball, every lefty I've ever been with, the ball kind of tails like this. I don't know why. Something with science that I don't don't try to digest. His does it. It's the most accurate, catchable ball I've ever seen. So for me, and the way I've learned football. and The most accurate, catchable ball you've ever seen. Yeah. That feels like it's an oxymoron. Explain, explain where you're coming like, from. Isn't every catchable ball the most accurate ball you've ever seen? Nah, man. <laughs> Not really sure. I, when sure. was the last time you saw a catchable ball that wasn't accurate? Um, I, I watched Jared Goff play quarterback a lot. and that I don't think happen. those are considered catchable. Um, some people caught them. Don't those contradict good. each other? I don't think so, but... I think they do. Is the two a hype... Getting you excited about Tua? Are you I just want to watch him fail. What, what's yeah, going on I, with the Dolphins? I think I'm going to be hate watching this year with them. I feel like they're kind of setting him up to fail. Probably. Like, I, I understand you've got to hype your guy. Maybe that's how he works better. When maybe, people, maybe. When people. I mean, the expectations have gone from nothing, and I mean, like people thinking that he's going to be replaced. But maybe mid-season. that's why he didn't work because the head coach was too critical. Maybe this is one of those guys that needs the. 
positive reinforcement of um, telling him he is the greatest to ever play the game and he goes out and performs. I didn't know people that way. Uh, Yeah, there are people that way. It's totally possible that that's right. I would just be worried about if he ends up coming out and like if he's Alex Smith this year, perfectly adequate, gets the ball there on time. You can win with him. He's not going to hurt you. But you're never going to look at him as like a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the league. He's super replaceable, but mid-level, mid-level starter in the NFL. Is that going to be considered a disappointment for Tua this year? Because I feel like that should be considered a success, but I don't know that it will be viewed that way now because of all of the hype preseason. Yeah, Yeah. that's where I am. I I think it should be viewed as a success, but I think it won't be because Miami's essentially been looking to replace him from day one. And so they've been bringing in, I mean, we heard the rumors of, Tom Brady in the offseason. Uh, they were linked to Deshaun Watson the entire time that he was on the trading block. So would it be viewed as a success? I don't know from Miami's standpoint because they've been looking to replace him since day one. I would think that would have to be a success because Alex Smith was a really good quarterback. He was a solid quarterback that could get you into the playoffs. And then if you had a really good team around him, you had a shot to go win a Super Bowl, kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, solid quarterback. He has a really good team around him. You have a shot to win a Super Bowl. So I, I think it should be viewed as a success. I just don't know if Miami will do it, say that or not. Do you feel like it's a success? Yeah, I thought I said I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I said I did. Um, <laughs> His microphone's broken. Man, give him a break. Yeah, pieces fell out. Jim Mercer was recently quoted. Oh, good old Jim. This never talking goes Talking about well. the Indianapolis Colts going into the season saying, quote, it's all about Tennessee for us. It's about winning the division. It's about going against those guys who have been tough and do a great job of getting their players ready to play football in a tough physical way. It's always tough going against those guys, but we know what we have to do. That's what we have to overcome. That's the team that we have to beat if we're going to get to where we want to be. That's the owner of the Colts, right? That is correct. I just had to double check. Do you think there's pressure this year on the front office and on Frank Reich that if they don't win their division, they could end up losing their jobs this year? Yeah. I, I think I think you have to consider that because if you if you don't win that division and aren't better than this version of the Tennessee Titans, I mean, that's two consecutive seasons, three consecutive seasons where you've gone out there and gotten a quarterback because you felt like your roster was in a good position to win and it failed. It failed with Phillip Rivers. It failed with Carson Wentz. And if it fails with Matt Ryan, that's three straight years where you got to look at it and say, hey, we got to go in a different direction. So, yeah, I, I think that if this might be a make or break year for the Colts in terms of front office jobs. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there should be more pressure on the front office. And that's Ballard, right? He's the GM. Mm. I, I think there should be more pressure on him because he's the guy that constructs the team. But I think him and Reich are, uh, Frank Reich are like tied together. So if the GM goes, so will Reich. And I think there should be pressure because I think this is the fifth straight year that there's going to be a different starting quarterback to open the season for the Indianapolis Colts. Because I think when Reich was first there, I think it was Luck. And then I think it was Brissett. And then it went to Rivers, then to Wentz, and now to Matt Ryan. And so that's on the GM for constructing the team, and then also the head coach for should, not maximizing it. it. And if the GM goes, the head coach probably going to go as well. It shouldn't take you that long to find a, replace, a replacement quarterback for Andrew Luck. There's just so many teams that have struggles doing it. I, I really like Matt Ryan. I think that he's I got a too. chance to be pretty solid for it. I think he can be what Phillip Rivers was for them. Yeah, I, was, I liked Phillip Rivers. And I mean, I, think, I guess it got to the playoffs with him. Yeah, and I think the roster around Matt Ryan is – 
maybe even better than the roster that was around Phillip Rivers a few couple of years ago. So I think they should be a pretty good team. I think that Frank Reich is one of the seven best coaches in the NFL. The idea of him potentially getting fired after this season is lunacy to me. But if he were to be fired, he would immediately be, along with Sean Payton, the most sought-after head coach in the NFL offseason. So I think they'd be crazy to do it, but they also have a crazy owner. I think they are kind of on the hot seat going into the year if things don't go well. Last thing that I wanted to get to in some NFL quick hitters today. You guys still think it's not weird that Tom Brady's away from the team? Did you see this story yesterday? Yeah. So Todd Bowles was asked after practice yesterday about when Tom Brady will return to the team. Now, if you remember about a week ago, he decided to take a leave of absence and they said, oh, this has already been talked about. We discussed this prior to training camp. We we cleared this with him. Everything's going to be fine. He'll be back soon. When asked when Tom Brady will return, he said, quote, we'll see. We're going to talk about it next week. Not concerned about it right now. We're trying to practice against Tennessee and play a game. I said sometime after Tennessee, there's no definitive date We'll check on it. We'll keep in touch. We'll find out, end quote. I know what this is. Yeah? I know what this is. Maybe it's tinfoil. Maybe it's serious. You guys watch The Masked Singer? Oh, you think he's going to be on? The season coming out on September 12th. Jeez. This is on on Twitter, (laughs) too. People are talking about this. Like, they wonder if Tom Brady is a... If he was a part of The Masked Singer and thought he was going to get kicked off... And he just kept moving on. If this is you, true, you, are, are, I support this theory. Hey, if this is true, I will. My mind will be blown. But this is what I truly believe right now. Tom Brady is going on. Rob Gronkowski was on it a couple of years ago. Antonio Brown was on this thing. Like, let's be real here. This is a Tom Brady move. Mask Singer calls and says, hey, Tom, we want you to be a contestant. It shouldn't take more than a couple of weeks. Okay, great. Tom Brady can freaking sing. And they're like, oh, my God. And Tom keeps going on. Now Tampa doesn't know when he's going to be back because Tom might win the whole damn thing. This is a thing. This is totally a thing. Look on Twitter. Yeah, I support this. People think Tom Brady is on the Masked Singer. And honestly, I think Tom Brady doesn't want to play football. Because (laughs) Because he's on the Masked Singer. (laughs) His singing career might start up now. Tom Brady's going to start. He's going to go with the. uh, It's like Teddy uh, Bradshaw. He was on the Masked Singer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Terry, is that who you're thinking Terry of? Terry Bradshaw. Who did did you I call say? him Teddy? I was like <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out in my mind. I'm like, who, who is Teddy Bradshaw? Bradshaw? I think you mixed Teddy Bridgewater yeah. and Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, so there yes. have been a lot of former pro athletes that go on to be like the host of game shows, right? I, I wonder if Tom Brady's like, hey, could I host the Masked Singer? Michael Strahan <laughs> was on job? Fox and now he was on a talk show. Tom Brady's looking at this as Masked Singer opportunity nobody thought he'd be good which is why they said he'd be back after two weeks tom brady keeps freaking winning and they're like okay we got to keep filming with you and you can't say anything about the masked singer because well they're masked if this is what it is i i I would put money on this now this this is this would be the the draft king this would be the best thing to happen to the nfl if tom brady's in the mask i mean seriously rob gronkowski misses week one (laughs) <laughs> for masked singer, <laughs> he's out. Who's your backup like, quarterback? I think it's Blaine Gabbert, right? Blaine Gabbert. Okay, Blaine Gabbert. I thought it was. Yeah. This, oh, uh, they, they can't talk about it because he's the masked singer, and that's why they're like, we thought this was going to be done after two weeks. There's no way that's what this is. I think he just is like, I need to clear my head. Do you and believe go that? Sing. 
I don't even know anymore. I'm, so, I'm leaking confidence. I can't wait to ask Jamie if he believes that. The junk drawer coming up in 15 minutes. Would you rather use Albert Pools right now against right-handed pitchers than Brendan Donovan? The numbers might surprise you. They certainly did for me. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If I asked you just up front, who would you rather have coming up to the plate against a right-handed pitcher? Brendan Donovan or Albert Pujols? What's your answer? Albert well, that- Pujols! <laughs> okay. Brendan Donovan. Yeah, it's Brendan Makes Donovan. sense, right? Left-handed, uh, left-handed bat going up against a right-handed pitcher. He's the guy that you would probably go with. And if you need a guy to get on base, that is the answer. I mean, honestly, the only guys that get on base at a higher clip on the Cardinals this uh, over the last, what is it, two months now than Brendan Donovan are Lars Newbar, Nolan Arenado, Andrew Kisner, oddly, what? and Paul Goldschmidt. Kisner, by the way, since July 5th, is batting 340 against right-handed pitchers. You thinking more playing time? Stud. Probably not, but that's surprising. I legitimately did not know that until I looked this Good up. for Kisner. But Brendan Donovan has been really good at getting on base, and he's he's hitting for a high average still against righties as well. But if you look at the OPS, you're taking into account the slugging percentage against righties. It's actually in favor of Albert Pujols. And this is going all the way back to July 5th. So the same numbers that we're using for, hey, Albert turned things on since July, basically the 4th of July against lefties. It's also kind of been the case against right-handed pitchers as well. Now, uh, small sample size alert. It's only 40, 40 plate appearances. So it's not like he's getting a ton of opportunities against them, but in his at-bats against right-handed pitching since the 4th of July, Albert Pulse is batting 270. He has a slugging percentage of 485. That's good for an OPS of 795, almost 800 in terms of his OPS. That is really damn good. It's basically the exact same as Nolan Gorman against right-handed pitching in this stretch. I have argued against giving Albert Pools more opportunities against righties. I have said all year this is... Not the way you go about it. He has proven to be excellent at one thing. Utilize him as as that guy that goes against lefties. Alex, are you changing your thoughts on this based on the numbers that I just gave you, especially when it comes to pools versus Brendan Donovan as that DH? I'm not because there's so many people in front of him that need the at-bats there. Like Albert Pujols is dominant against lefties. That's plain and simple. If yep. you have a pinch hit opportunity or if the DH is there, I'm going to Albert Pujols, signed, sealed, delivered. But if a righty's on the mound, as great as Pujols' numbers are, it is a short sample size. And if I want to play the odds, I want my guys who hit righties better that have had more at-bats against them. Nolan Gorman has seen a ton of righties this season. So has Brendan Donovan. The on-base percentage, the slug percentage for Nolan Gorman against righties they're through the roof there's a lot of mouths to feed and not enough opportunities I say that a lot but when it comes to this Albert Pujols is a weapon for me off the bench against lefties and if I need him against righties I know I can use him and he can give me a good at bat but he's not my number one choice regardless of what those numbers look like because Donovan and Gorman have a longer track record this season yeah and that's where I am too I I would still stick with Brendan Donovan just because 
he has the longer track record, has more plate appearances against him, and that number that you said of Albert Pujols is just such a small sample size. I think he can go against a right-hander maybe like if it's like the fifth inning and a team's gone to the bullpen already and you think they're going to go to a lefty again and he had gotten the start. That's fine. But I would still stick with starting Brendan Donovan because I think Donovan gives you the more maximum potential for a lineup against right-handed pitching than what Albert Pujols does. And, and to be completely honest with you, I know Albert's been on a tear lately and it's been awesome to see. I feel more comfortable seeing a Brendan Donovan at bat watching it with against right-handed pitching than I would when Albert Pujols comes to the plate. Against a lefty, totally different story, but against right-handed pitching, I would still stick with Brendan Donovan. I, I do think it's a little more situational, not just the righty versus lefty. Like, Tell me if I'm wrong here, BK. If, if, if I need a run and I don't have anybody on base, I might go to Albert Pujols if there's one out, two outs, because like you're going boom or bust there. We're going like guy on first, you've got two outs, you need somebody to you move to, him over and potentially have that Yachty slug. on first, yeah. yeah. But if I'm starting an inning with a pinch hitter, I'm going to go to Brendan Donovan because I need to get on base there. And I'm, I'm thinking more there. of starts. Like you start oh, out the game. Like you're, you're starting from the first inning. Yep. Oh, yeah, there's... Uh, there, I don't think there's any scenario where I sit here and say, unless Albert just has absurd numbers against this right-handed pitcher, he's third on my desired list of starters behind Donovan and Gorman if the righty's on the mound. And that's where it gets really tough. Like, if you didn't have Lars Newtbar performing the way that he is, I think this is pretty simple. You get all of them in the lineup. Right. You say, okay, you know what? T- Tommy Edmond, you're the one that has to go to the bench in these scenarios against right-handed pitching. I know you're better defensively, but the bat is not playing right now. So we're going to have one. Uh, we're probably going to have Gorman at second. We're going to put Donovan in right. And we have Albert getting opportunities against right-handed pitching as our DH. But right now you've got Lars in right. And it kind of comes down to whether or not they want to keep Tyler O'Neill in left field. If they do... You just put Tyler O'Neill out there, and you try to get him going, and the rest is history. And by the way, his numbers over the last month or so have started to kind of creep up a little bit in terms of the OPS+. plus. But if you decide at some point you're willing to take Tyler O'Neill out of the lineup because you need that production from left field offensively, well, now you can do the same thing in left field. You have Newt in right, Donovan in left, Gorman at second, Pujols as your designated hitter. But right now... I'm with you guys right now. What they need against right-handed pitching is somebody to bat in that two hole. And I think this is a really important factor here. Brendan Donovan is that guy. You need the on-base percentage in front of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And Donovan's the guy that provides that for you against lefties. It's obvious. You just throw pools in the lineup. I I don't care where you put him. He's he's just a guy that's got to be out there, but you're getting that left-handed power at the bottom of your order from Nolan Gorman. That's where he's going to have his successes against those right-handed pitchers. So I, I don't think that there's a spot right now for Albert Pools. And there was also something that was said yesterday on MLB Network that I think plays into all of this. By the way, I don't think that it means you preclude him from ever getting starts against righties. He has now worked himself into the mix of if a guy needs a day off, go ahead and throw him out there. I don't have as big of an issue with it now as I did at the beginning of the season. But in general, like starting every day against righties, that's still not an option for him. And when he's on the bench, I thought Bo Porter, former Astros manager, was on MLB Network MLB Network yesterday, said something very interesting about what that does for the opposing team when Albert is potentially available to pinch it. He's actually more dangerous sitting over on the bench than playing every day because the other manager... You're worried about when is he going to pop him? He pinch hit today at a grand slam. In the third. Yes. So when you start to think about winning matchups, you have a weapon sitting on your bench that is going to hammer left-handed pitching, and it's going to handcuff the other manager every time he go down in that bullpen to bring in a lefty. So I'm in. I like the dismount there. I also, I, mean, lo- I also liked how the guy tried to talk and was like, no, I'm going to back away from this. Let Bo, yeah. let Bo Porter cook. So – 
we actually saw this recently. I can't remember which game it was. I wish I remembered the exact situation, but the opposing team had an opportunity to bring in a left-handed reliever if they wanted to. And Nolan Gorman was coming up to the plate. And the decision was, do we leave our righty in here to face Nolan Gorman? Or do we bring a lefty in knowing the Cardinals are very likely to pinch hit Albert Pujols in this spot? Now, remember... Nolan Gorman has been super successful this year against right-handed pitching. He's got an OPS of 800 on the season, but they deemed their best decision there was to keep the righty in the game to face Nolan Gorman, which is not a good situation for them because the worst situation is bringing in the lefty to face Albert Mm -hmm. Pujols. That's the kind of threat that Albert Pujols is for you right now. He is so terrifying for opposing managers that the mere opportunity of him getting into the game could potentially keep some of the better left-handed pitchers out of the game for your opponents right now. So I do think there's real value in having that guy coming off of the bench in a day where the opposing team has a right-handed pitcher getting the start. And we could see that this weekend. I mean, Arizona's got maybe one of the best left-handed relievers in baseball. Joe Mantiply has been awesome for them this year. And it, we may have a scenario that comes up this weekend. I think he's going to get the start to tonight because Tommy Henry's a lefty. So Mad Bum's a lefty on Saturday. I think Sunday is a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, they've got Kelly going on Sunday. So what you could see is they may have Mantiply ready to go, and they may be hesitant to bring him into the game. And like I said, he's one of the best left-handed relievers, maybe the best in all of baseball right now. We'll see what Arizona does because that's the situation you're talking about. Okay, do we go Mantiply versus Pujols, who just crushes left-handed pitching, even though Mantiply was an all-star and has really good numbers, or do we just stick with our right-hander and hope that he finds a way to get Nolan Gorman out? It is such a such a great weapon to have, yeah. and not very often have we said that the Cardinals have a bench that is a threat. I mean, if you look at last year's team, there was nobody that was on the bench that was a threat for the St. Louis Cardinals. It, it's been a while since we've said, hey, they've got a legitimate bat that can come off of the bench and provide some uh provide some fear into teams like Jed Jerko was out there for a little bit. Brandon Moss did that when yep. he first got here. Milsey it's been a while. Had a little oh, yeah, bit of that. Miller had that, that stretch in the middle of the season. He yeah. was. Yeah. So first time that they've had really a bench that you look at and you go, man, no matter what it is, Gorman's on the bench or Pulse is on the bench. This is actually kind of a difference maker for the Cardinals. And it's something that we have to think about when we're going to our bullpen. And I do think it's important. Like, for example, if you get into a situation where Sunday uh, they've got Kelly on the mound, he's a right-handed pitcher, so Pools doesn't start that game, for example. He'll have started the previous two games as well because, as you mentioned, they've got two lefties going the next couple of days. So get the day off there, and he'll come in late in a game. You'll already have all of your lefty bats in the game, so it also helps you keep those platoon advantages when they are afraid to bring in that right-handed pitcher, uh, or, or excuse me, the, the lefty mm-hmm. from the bullpen, so it, it helps you not only with pools, it also keeps your best bats for that specific matchup in the game. So you're not having to do those line switches and then potentially they bring another righty later on. And now you've got a bad you've got a mismatch coming up later on in the game. So it helps you not only in the beginning of the game, but it helps keeps those bats in the lineup as long as possible for you. The where card- you've got an advantage. The Cardinals are going to be an intriguing team in the sense that they might be the one team that a lot of teams make mistakes against moving forward because this is the conversation we had earlier this week of is Ali Marmol going to be an asset for this team down the stretch and in the playoffs? I think this is where he can be an asset because you have you have two cards that you can play in a game and it becomes a chess match and you find out is your manager better than the other manager when it comes to this chess match. I remember this in that San Diego Padres series earlier in the season. There was something like this where it was a chess match of Ali's 
Ollie's weapons were forcing San Diego to decide, do we go a righty or do we go a lefty from the bullpen? And as soon as they did that, Ollie played the card and they won that game. Happened the other night. Remember, Tanner, we were down at the game on Monday night and Ollie was going through the scenarios of what could end up happening if they decided to use a pinch hitter in that spot, if the other team was going to go to their uh, bullpen because of that pinch hitter. Like it. It is a cat and mouse game, so there's a lot to that for sure, Alex. Good point. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, better or worse, Cardinals 22 versus 2021. Let's go position by position. How does this team compare right now to where they were at this point last year? Talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock, but next, diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you have for us today? Uh, guys, I've been so excited about this ever since I saw it yesterday. This might be the best invention ever. Unless they create something that will uh, fold uh, sheets, then that'll be number one. But this one for right now. <laughs> Are folding sheets difficult for you? Dude, that is a How many battle sheets in do you have? I got two pairs, but you know when you wash them? Oh, dude. I dread that day. You know what you do? You put both sheets on your bed. And when you're done with one, you rip that off and then you got the one underneath. And it's more cushion while both of them are on your bed. Seriously, might try that. But this invention, number one right now until the sheet folding comes about. (laughs) Pepsi has created the Game Time Fridge TV. It is the first ever beverage fridge that is literally a part of the TV. Push it. You got the TV on the wall. Push a button and the TV slides. And then there's your refrigerator. You got your drinks, got your cold ones best invention ever don't have to ever leave the family room again what how often are you at your fridge enough to where it's annoying yeah he doesn't eat cold hot dogs and if this was a a television in his microwave or a television in his bathroom i can understand is this what i'm looking at right here it's the pepsi game time fridge tv i i I just don't best invention ever is your television far away from your refrigerator where no, you can't see I, it when I you can, walk away I, from it? I can see the TV from say, my they got to be in the same room, right? Yeah, but this is literally like 10 steps fewer. But how much do you think this is? Oh, ton of money. Yeah, I don't know. A ton I, of money. The fact that I don't see a price on it tells me it's expensive. <laughs> but this is this seems awesome. So the fridge comes out of the television. Okay, I was misunderstanding. I thought this was a a television on your fridge. No, no, no. This it's is a, a fridge in your on television. Your wall and you push a button and the TV like slides and the this refrigerator is, is behind it. This so is this incredible. is pretty sweet. Yeah, this Especially is Especially for NFL game days. Oh my God, yes. College football Saturdays. I want this in my basement. Put, a 50, you put your cactus limes back there. Amen, brother. Ice cold cactus oh. limes. 55 you kidding inch. me? You don't even have to ask your little dog Penny to to go get the yeah. the beers anymore. Come on, man. I got two kids now. They get the I beers. Mean, you guys both have dogs. Did you guys try training the dogs to get you beer? Have you seen my dog? Yeah, my dog is my dog couldn't pick up a beer. My dog, your big dog could. Yeah, weighs that's true. the he same amount it, as a beer. A bottle same. of whiskey definitely weighs more than my my well, dog. I, does. I didn't say trainer to get a bottle of whiskey. That's a different yeah, conversation. You're an alcoholic, man. I tried to teach my dog to get us beer. It didn't work. Yeah, I I have a seven-pound Shih Tzu Maltese mix. I'm still trying to. There is no beer I, run accumulating. Yeah, from I, I got a four-pound Shorty, and that's not happening. <laughs> but the seventy-seven pounder. Oh, he could totally do. I'm it. still trying to train train him to stop eating pork steaks off of my counter when I'm getting ready to cook them. So eh, beer might be the next level. Nah. Somebody said all you have to do is just get a cooler and. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very true. Yeah, no, this that's not the same, man. Very true. Now, if I could put like the cooler a, over time warms up. This is a refrigerator. I want to put a television in my shower. That's what I want. Oh, I like that. Have like you ever that. been to, uh, not to give a free plug, but Ameristar Casino out in yep. St. Charles? Their bathrooms have a... Uh, have a Buffalo Wild Wings does too, right above the urinals. Oh, sure. But this is inside of your hotel room. In the bathrooms, they've got they've got TVs. I haven't stayed at Ameristar, though. I haven't I stayed, stayed at there once. I we we stayed for a, a wedding. Did not go well for your boy. Didn't Next morning it. was a little rough. Um, I was watching television as I was hugging the toilet, and so that was—that's why well, I remember that. You I remember the television fondly. in the toilet. You would have been able to watch everything. You just put it at the bottom. That, yeah. that yeah. feels dangerous. No, Very. it's fine. No, it's fine. If you can holograph, uh, why can't I remember no, his name right no, now? No, no. Guy at the Cubs singer. Why can't I? Oh, Harry. Oh. Carey. If you can hologram <laughs> Harry Carey, I can put a hologram television inside the toilet. By the way, speaking of toilets. How often are you supposed to flush them? Like, we have one downstairs. We don't use that bathroom because well, it's like, well, after you use it. Well, of course. But I'm talking about it like we literally never use it downstairs. Are you one of the people that doesn't flush after number one to no, save money? I, again, I'm, I'm not. That's not the route I'm going down. Unbelievable. You would be that guy. <laughs> I don't think that we have turned on the shower downstairs since we moved into the house and we moved in roughly uh, 16 months ago. Is that going to be a problem? No, I, I, I only think it's a problem when it's cold out because you want to make sure yeah. that the pipes don't okay. freeze. Like, I think in the when in the warmth it doesn't matter now like if it's Winter a sink that you're to. drinking water out of you probably want to run that a little sure. bit more to make sure it doesn't get all but nasty I'm good right we don't but we're not toilet? gonna like no yeah you don't no. have an issue with i would in the winter time i always do that in our basement where i'll, I'll go down once a month it's a good point like when i change the air filter i go down and i turn on and sink yeah the sinks to make sure that they're running and not freezing it's it really cold just have it drip for a little bit and yeah. that's it but yeah that's or the only, that's the the only time you gotta worry there. about as far as i'm no I'm, I'm just glad we learned that BK don't flush on one. I know. <laughs> they got to save water bill money for that Peloton. Am I right? Got to learn something Honey, on a Friday afternoon. Because I just went one. Just one. Oh, you too? Okay, flush that. <laughs> you know what? Mom's coming over, so just tell her she, she can do the ones. It's fine. It's fine. Life, life in the Kylie household. Just <laughs> go <Short> break. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I want to do a little bit of a comparison between where we were at this point last year with the Cardinals to where we are at this point with the Cardinals as we head into this stretch run. Better or worse, 2022 versus 2021 Cardinals edition. So, Alex, let's go position by position because we've talked a lot about, okay, uh, where does this team rank? How do they compare when it comes to the contention? Do you really view them as a a legitimate contender? Let's go line by line and, and talk about how this team compares. So, Let's start with the catcher position. Yachty this year versus Yachty last year. At this point last year, Yachty or Molina had a 687 OPS. He was starting for you most days. And uh, on this season, uh, the offense, let's be honest, just hasn't really been there so far. He is at a 505 OPS on the season. Would you say this year's or last year's version of Yachty or Molina has been better? So are we doing the player or the position? Because I kind of look at the catcher position as like Yachty and Kisner. Sure. And I would say last year, or I'm sorry, this year's version is better because Kisner has been better. Last year's version of Kisner was not good. Yachty was good, 
but he was, I think Yachty's been more impactful this season for the games that he has played. And Andrew Kisner has been better. So if we're going positionally, I think this year's version has been better than last year's version. Yeah, I would agree with that because Kisner's actually been able to take a decent bulk of the starts for Yadier Molina. I mean, not just because Yachty was hurt, but they've actually, for the first time, maybe ever, except for the second half of last year, turned away from Yadier Molina and gone 50-50. So as a whole position-wise, I would say that the catcher position as a whole has been better this year than it was last year. All right, we're going to sweep that one. I'm going to go with catcher this year as well, like the way you guys looked at that. That is one for the side of this season. First base, Paul Goldschmidt last year at this point had an 8.05 OPS. At this point this season, in both years, he's gold glove defense at first base. He has an OPS over 1,000. Can we go ahead and just like not spend yeah. too much time here? Paul Goldschmidt's yeah. been better this year at first than he was last year. That's child's play, what he had last year at this time compared to what Isn't he's got crazy? now. crazy? Yeah. Last year, his OPS was basically what you've seen so far this year out of Nolan Gorman he, at this point in the time. He had 310 total bases last year. He's at 260 right now. <laughs> and there's still 40-something games left to be That's played. Unbelievable. That's incredible. All right. Second base is a little bit more like what you talked about with catcher, where it is uh, an accumulation of talent as opposed to any one individual name. Last year was basically just Tommy Edman. He, was, he had an OPS of 685 at this point in the season. This year, interestingly enough, Tommy Edmond has almost the exact same OPS as he did last year, 689 right now. And you've also got Nolan Gorman working into that mix with a 786 OPS at second base. Would you say second is better this year or last year, guys? I'd say it's this year. And I would even throw Brendan Donovan's name into this sure. category also, but he's going to be more in the DH spot. But yeah, it's this season because not only do you have Tommy Edmond who has been getting on base, and I know he's going through the slump, but the beginning of the season, he was one of the best Cardinal players, but you didn't have your, your next option to play second base for you was either Matt Carpenter or Edmundo Sosa last year. And Carpenter wasn't hitting. Sosa was good. But he, but he was, was little, mostly shortstop. Exactly. So you you legitimately have a threat against righties playing second base, who's not Gold Glove caliber, but he's good defensively for you. So I, I think it's easy on this one also that your second base is better. Yeah, definitely because you've got more. I think you got more, you get definitely have more power there this year with Nolan Gorman and the way that he's come up and provided some of that. You got Tommy Edmond, who though his numbers have really dipped off, he's been pretty solid all season long. Great defense, good base running. Like Are we you talked surprised about last to hear year. that his OPS is the exact same this year as it is last year? Not really, because I think that's who he was. Yeah, I think that's who he I is. Th- like, I think we know it. Just like we know, although this year has trumped that, but just like we usually know that Paul Goldschmidt starts the season off slow and gets hotter in the season. Like I think you know, Tommy Edmond starts off hot and then slows down and will pick up in September. But this is who he is. I, I think we're all on the same page here. Second base better this year than it was last year. Shortstop's interesting. At this point last year, you had started to make the switch over to Edmundo Sosa. And then for the stretch run, he was your guy. There was also a lot of Paul DeYoung, though, for the vast majority of the season. And at this point in time, DeYoung had an OPS of 670. Soso was at 760. So he was definitely a better offensive performer than anything you've had at the shortstop position so far this year. DeYoung right now is your guy in his OPS at this point in the season is 620. Do we all agree that last year your shortstop position was better because of Edmundo Sosa than what it has been so far this year? See, I would actually argue that a little bit. I think I would go this year's because Tommy Edmond has been playing at shortstop for you. And again, I know he's in a slump, but you didn't have Edmundo Sosa until like the last stretch of the regular season. And Paul DeYoung at least has been a little bit better than what he was last year, although he's going through a slump right now. I think I actually would lean more towards this season than last season because it's Edmund and DeYoung at short rather than DeYoung and Sosa. See, I think I would lean towards last year because I think Sosa was such a difference maker for the club last year. And he, 
I know his numbers weren't there kind of originally. I mean, he was solid, and that's all he really was was solid, but he provided a spark to the team. And DeYoung this year, I just can't, just looking at his numbers when he got sent down, I can't say that the shortstop had much of a factor into this team at all. So I would have to lean towards last year's at the shortstop position. I think I'm I'm going last year yeah. for shortstop just because the energy, the excitement, the speed, and I do think he played really quality defense right up until the wild card game where he like forgot how to play shortstop. But I thought Sosa was really good down the stretch for the Cardinals last year, so I would probably lean towards last year. Uh, Arenado, much like Goldie, I don't think yeah. we need to spend too much time here. Last year at Clean this point, sweep. 820 OPS. This year he's at a 910 OPS. He's a legit MVP candidate. The defense, I think, from start to finish has been better this year than it was a year ago, and last year he was really good, so that's saying something about where he's at right now. The clutch has been better, too, for Arenado this year. Arenado, better this year than last year. Yep. All right. Right field. Dylan Carlson last year had a 790 OPS. This year, Lars Newtbar has a 762 OPS. Which would you lean towards being better this year's Newt, last year's Carlson? I think I'm, oh man, this is tough. I want to say Newtbar here, but I know the Newtbar that we saw for the first chunk of the season was awful. But like you're starting to see a better Lars Newtbar defensively, I think he's right there with what Dylan Carlson was in right field for you last season. As the outfield as a whole, I I think I would go Lars Nupar here in right field rather, Lars Nupar this season rather than Tyler O'Neill or I'm sorry, Dylan Carlson last season. See, I think I would probably lean towards Dylan Carlson last season because defensively, I think they were probably the same. And then I look at the bat. I know that the numbers were down for Carlson, but I mean, he still had some decent pop in his bat. I think he had 12 home. I'm looking at the numbers, had 12 home runs at this point this season, had like 24 doubles. So, like, I think there was more pop in Carlson's bat last season. And that's why I would lean towards taking him. I think Carlson was better at this point last year than he's been so far this year. So I would take him over what we're seeing out of Lars Newbar. Yeah, that makes sense. This is going to sound really weird because I think Dylan Carlson's a better player for now and for the future than Lars Newbar is. The fact that Lars Newbar is a lefty that hits righties really well, I, I do think matters. Yeah, because he's what you wanted Matt Carpenter to be last year. And he's been the leadoff guy that Carlson could never really seemingly become. Is it wrong of me to say that I think I would take this version of Newt? I mean, he's been one of your best hitters for the last month now. This is... Starting to become a sample that I'm willing to just say, maybe Lars Newtbar is just one of your better hitters right now. Is that crazy, Tanner? I think so, because I think Carlson was a better hitter last year at this point. He he did it for an, a more extended stretch, but he still had those struggles from time to time against right-handed pitching, and the majority of the pitchers that you see are righties, but his numbers against lefties were so overwhelming that it was able to make up for that. I think I'm going to side on Newt, and I'm kind of surprised that I'm doing that, but maybe that's me kind of doing the recency bias thing. Yeah, I think down the stretch, Newt has a chance to be better than Carlson was down the stretch for the Cardinals last year. And that, I know that sounds crazy, but I think that that's where we're at with him right now. I think See, Carlson's going to be better long term, though. I was going to say, I still think there's still more to come from Carlson. Like, I'm thinking he's going to, at some point, figure out the right hand of pitching this year. Maybe that's just me buying into... The Cardinals hyping him as a prospect, so I'm not going to say like he's capped at his ceiling this season. Like I still think he's going to get better, and he could have like a really good September and have an awesome stretch. I kind of feel like we're like seeing the 
maxing out of the ceiling for Lars Noop are like. Well, yeah, I mean, I he's got an OPS over a thousand. So. Yeah, so like, well, <laughs> this like, is a I good don't see him. Out. I was gonna say I don't this see is him. Peak Lars. Yeah, like, <laughs> peak Lars. and I don't see this sustaining like through September for Lars Newpar. Like, I think still at some point in the back of my mind, we're gonna see Lars Newpar go cold, and we're gonna be clamoring for oh, Juan Yepes should be getting starts in right field, or they should go Donovan in right field, or they should go with uh, Alec Burleson, give him a shot against right-handed pitching. Still, so I would go that way with you if it wasn't sustainable in terms of the batted ball metrics he's hitting the ball incredibly hard and that stuff is typically pretty sustainable so i i think i'm gonna lean, lean towards newt on this one now i will say the next two i think are last year center field with bader last year he had a 760 ops at this point in the season carlson this year is at 715 i'm going bader last year in center field and then when it comes to what's the other o'neill last year versus o'neill this year i think that is an obvious one we're, we're leaning towards last year Do you guys agree, agree that it's both of those yeah going to last agree. year's yep Now's where it gets interesting. Last year's starting pitching in bullpen versus this year's starting pitching in bullpen. For me, it is very obvious that I would rather have this rotation than last year's rotation. Oh, come on, we had Lester and Hap. Lester, Hap, Wayno, Michael is coming off of the injury. And interestingly enough, Jake Woodford was your number five starter and performing pretty well down the stretch. Would you guys agree that this year's starting rotation has been better? Yeah. And yeah. will be better as well. Considering that one of your your number two going into the season was injured for a majority of it. Your number three was sent to the bullpen. Your number four was released. And your number five, before Lester and all that, you couldn't figure out who the hell was taking it. So, yeah, I would take this this bull, or this or rotation over last year's. Absolutely. this one. I think this one runs laps around last year's starting rotation. Now, the next one I think is a, is a discussion worth having. The bullpen. At this point, you had found TJ McFarland, who recaptured his form, and it seemed like every night was coming in to throw three pitches, get a ground ball, get out of the game. Luis Garcia had become suddenly one of the better right-handed relievers in baseball. Cabrera was really good. Gallegos was performing, although had started to hit some speed bumps. Reyes was up and down. And once we got to this point in the season, he was no longer the same dominant performer that he was in the first half, but he was a closer that she felt pretty good. He was kind of like Gallegos this year, where more often than not, he got the job done, but there were some issues in there as well. Cody Whitley, Ponce, KK, Andrew Miller. That's what your bullpen was this time last year. Do you trust that or what you currently have available to you with Cabrera, Gallegos, Helsley being the dominant back end closer, Hicks, Naughton, Palante and Chris Stratton coming out of your pen. I think it's this year's and I think it all comes down to Ryan Helsley. Uh, I, at the end of the season last year, I was nervous about pretty much everybody who was coming out of that bullpen with Gallegos, with Reyes, with Cabrera this season, although Gallegos still makes us a little nervous, gets the job done. You don't really have that Cabrera, but Packy Naughton's been good for you, but it all comes back to Helsley for me. I have a guy that when he comes into a game, I, I have no concerns that he's going to give you exactly what you want. And your fourth weapon, Andre Pallante, in my opinion, has been better for you than what Luis Garcia was last year. So I think I'm going this this bullpen. See, I think I would take last year's bullpen. I think you had five legitimate arms that you could trust last year. And right now this bullpen feels kind of undefined. Like the only thing I know for certain is... Helsley's my closer, and look, he's been awesome. At it, no, no doubt about it. But you got to remember, too, Reyes was an all-star last year as well, and I get it. He went through the ups and downs in the second half, but he was still an all-star just like Ryan Helsley, and at times you saw the same dominance out of Alex Reyes that you saw from Ryan Helsley. Helsley's just been a little bit more consistent with it. Gallegos, I've always trusted Gallegos. I know he does go through some spurts where it's tough to tell, but after that, like the bullpen this year, I don't know whose roles are what just yet. So 
I think right now I would take last year's bullpen. Like at this point, you pretty much knew Cabrera's the seventh, Gallegos is the eighth. Uh, you've got Ray is going to close things down. And at this point, McFarland and Luis Garcia, you could really match up with. And Garcia was just unbelievable when he, when he got things figured out at this point in the season. So I would take last year's bullpen because I know what you had. You got five legitimate arms. I know that everybody else back behind those five, you didn't really know what you're going to get. But like right now, everything's undefined. What is Andre Pallante's role? Like I like him as a seventh inning guy, but the Cardinals, I'm not sure are going to use him that way. Cabrera is not himself right now. Packy Naughton, he's kind of just a left-handed specialist at this point right now. Uh, the, other than that, Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks I like as an inning guy, but seeing him go multiple innings seems to struggle in that role. So I don't know. I think I would take last year's bullpen at this point than this year's. That's where I'm at as well. I, I think I would lean towards last year's bullpen because of the high leverage guys that you had at the back end of that pin. Now, I feel much better about your closer this year than I did at any point last year after the All-Star break. Alex Reyes just was not the same guy. He was overused. He was clearly tired down the stretch. It was just a different version of Alex Reyes. This year's closer, I feel great about. The problem is getting to that guy. I feel better about your uh, your starters getting to the back end of your bullpen than I did last year. I feel better about the back end of the bullpen once you get to that ninth inning I still got my questions, though, getting from like six to eight. Those three innings, that's where I, I do have more questions this year than I did at this point last year. So I would probably give that towards last season. This year, you won six out of the 10 spots that we went through. And if you were talking depth, bench, availability of those guys, that would definitely lean towards this side, this this team as well. And the overall upside Arenado, Goldie, what they're able to do for you right now, the front end of your rotation, the back end of your closer. The superstar talent on this year's team is definitely at a higher level than what it was a year ago as well. I thought that was instructive because last year going into the playoffs, I felt pretty good about the Cardinals. I thought they had a real chance if they beat the Dodgers to be able to go on a run. This year's team's just better. It's better right now than it was last year when we got to this point in the season. Do you think we're talking about it as much? Like, I know we all, like, said heading into that wild card game, oh, we felt really good about that team. And if they win, like, we still somewhat believe that they would have gone on to have a run at the World Series. I wonder if we would actually have been thinking that because, like, we just went through that rotation last year. That rotation last year, past Wainwright, was a sight to be seen. Like, I get it happened last year. We're good when they came back, but you it was truly the didn't know that what we trusted. We thought yeah, if you could get through four, but even then, like. It was going to be tough to get through four probably with Happ and Lester and feel comfortable in that game, if I'm being honest with you, looking back on it in hindsight. Somebody says coaching staff. Would you trust this year's coaching staff or last year? If we put that as a category, I'm going this year personally. I but think I would go that this is, year too. I want to make this clear. That's not a shot of last year. I thought they had a good coaching staff last year, but this year I think is better. I think I would agree because this year they've maximized platoons, yeah. and I think that they're going to figure out the bullpen at some point and if they do this team is going to be really dangerous coming up in 15 minutes 65780 is the air comfort service tax line you give us four options we will tell you which ones gotta go but coming up next we're going to talk about the big 10 expanding to 20 teams and whether or not that's good for the local schools illinois and mizzou that's next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn expanding that is according to brett mcmurphy who was on with character and smallman earlier today if you missed any of their conversation check it out on the podcast page 101espn.com or the 101 espn app it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. i don't think that the sec is done expanding either and that is after listening to brett mcmurphy talking about this alex i don't think that anybody's done expanding if they can help it 
got to advance um, excerpts from Kevin Warren's interview with Bryant Gumbel on HBO Reels 4 today's Tuesday night. And Bryant Gumbel asked him point blank, do you foresee your league getting to 20 teams? And he says, yes, I do. So wow. Kevin Warren has not been shy about this. And what it means for the rest of the college landscape is the Pac-12 is in serious trouble because when those schools leave the Pac-12, then I think the Big 12 comes in and scoops up both Arizona schools, Colorado and Utah, and then what's left of the Pac-12? Basically, Oregon State and Washington State, unfortunately for those guys, they would probably have to join the Mountain West. So we could be from five power conferences down to four uh, in the next few years. And at some point after that, you could be down to three. Like, that's not a crazy thing to believe. And then believe. you're going to get to two. <laughs> it's it's totally in play that the, the logical conclusion to all of this is the Big Ten and the SEC are two super conferences and everybody else yep. is fighting for the scraps when it comes to the, the TV deals. I understand why conferences are doing this because money drives everything. I mean, you guys saw the money that the Big Ten just got for their new TV deal, and there's other kickers that could be involved in future years if they continue expanding or they get even more money. So I, I get it. It's not hard for me to understand logically why they're doing this. But Tanner, you're a fan of Illinois. We're both Mizzou fans, Alex. And when I look at the way that this is going, I, first of all, I'm happy that both of those schools have a seat at the table. It's good to be a part of the Big Ten or the SEC. You're getting more money as a result of that. However, the SEC is now expanding and they're going to have Oklahoma and Texas as a part of it. The Big Ten is expanding and they just added USC and who's the other school? UCLA. UCLA. They're probably going to end up adding Oregon and Washington and other quality football schools as well. That's going to make things even more difficult for Illinois to be able to compete on a year-to-year basis. Those teams that you, it just means that there's fewer games against the bottom dwellers in the Big Ten. Same is true for Mizzou. It means that there's going to be fewer opportunities for you to go up on a year-to-year basis against teams like Mississippi State or Vanderbilt. And what ends up happening is, as the richer keep on getting richer in your conference, it becomes harder and harder for you to be able to keep up. Mizzou is already outspending what it has in the past, And what it's getting them is to like 12th in the SEC in spending. When these other teams are going to join the conference, they are going to continue being towards the top and you're going to continue falling further and further down towards the bottom. Alex, we talked about this earlier today. I'm kind of use the analogy of, okay, if I make in St. Louis $100,000 and my house in St. Louis is $300,000, it's a pretty good livable place to be, right? Meanwhile, if I move out to Los Angeles, am I going to make a little more? Sure. Yeah, they'll they'll probably pay me more because of the cost of living. Maybe I make $130,000. But my house that's $300,000 there is a mil or here is a million dollars out there. So proportionally, it does not cover those expenses. That's what Mizzou's living with right now. That's what Illinois is about to find out whenever they expand in the Big 10 as well. I do have some concerns over what this is going to mean for the local schools. Again, it's good to be in these conferences because you've got a seat at the table. I do wonder what it looks like five years from now as I don't think they're going to get their teeth kicked in or anything, but it's going to be really hard for these teams to be able to put together six, seven, eight win seasons as the conferences continue to improve. Well, yeah, because when you're getting all of these teams with, especially now with the NIL deals and things like that, I mean, how do you compete when it's a power conference and you're going up against not what you're already dealing with? Like I'm looking at the Mizzou side of things. T-Bone can speak for the Illinois, but you're looking at already having to go up against the Alabamas and the Ole Misses and the Arkansas and the Georgias. 
Now add in the other teams that the SEC is going to bring in. I mean, it's it's being the bridesmaid and never being the bride. And I know people can simply say it's fine, get better with it. But there's more appeal with other teams in your conference for other coaches and other players and other money to be spent. And you are already up against it with all of these high leverage teams and now add more of those in. I mean, as a Mizzou fan, you're basically going into every season like you're the Arizona Coyotes in the Western Conference. Like, going to be another tough year. And if you do that over and over and over, I know the common football fan for college is going to be, I just want to watch entertainment. But when you're the when you're the fans of that specific team, going to be a lot of disappointment for a lot of years. On that point, just in terms of the money side of things, so Dave Matter had a really good piece over in the Post-Dispatch the other day on season tickets for Mizzou and what they've sold so far going into this year, and it's better. It's better than it has been since 2019, but it's down like close to 20% since 2019. Here's what other SEC schools have sold in terms of their season tickets going into the year. Tennessee, 73,000. Alabama, completely sold out. We don't know exactly what the number is, but they have no season tickets uh, available. Georgia sold out last year, and the expectation is that they're sold out this year. Uh, They sold a record amount of season tickets last year at Texas A&M. They were at renewal rates of over 94%. The expectation is they're going to break another record. Florida, 63,000. Florida, 40,000. Kentucky, 44,000. Ole Miss, 38,000. I haven't heard of Mizzou yet. Less than twenty thousand. I and that's the and that's the conference as it is right now. Yeah, that's where Texas it joined. gets very difficult to say. Yeah, just get better, just spend more. They've sold eighteen thousand non-student season tickets this year. It's really hard to compete with these other teams where the SEC football is a religion, man. These teams that you're going up against, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Southern South Carolina, like this is their pro sport. In St. Louis or Kansas City, you've got the Chiefs, you've got the Royals, you've got the Cardinals, you've got the Blues. There's other places where you're spending your discretionary income. Man, these places, this is the team. That's the one you support from September until the following September. What season is it? In September, it's football season. In March, it's spring football season. It's it's tough, man. So trying to keep up with the Joneses, it's just getting harder and harder, and it's about to be that way in the Big Ten as well. Yeah, and, and it, once you get into that snowball effect where you're just playing a giant game of catch-up, it becomes extremely difficult because what do you have to do to kind of boost the money revenue? Well, you got to win, but it's going to be hard to win when other teams are spending so much money, and what right. are they doing? They're luring all the top talent there, and that's what Illinois gets stuck in. Illinois, just they can't compete recruiting-wise with Ohio State and Michigan, all those big teams in the Big Ten, and they definitely won't be able to compete with UCLA or USC. So, <laughs> and look, as it, it's, it is, I don't want to call it, it's frustrating, but I, I understand where Illinois is at in terms of where things are football-wise. Like, I know they're just never going to be at that level. Like, I... People, you asked me today in the office, do you find it frustrating to see these leagues expanding? Like the Big Ten ends up adding, let's just say it is Oregon and Washington and Washington State. Do you find it frustrating? No, because I think college football is already there at some point. Like I, Illinois, I'm excited for this year just because Brett Bielman got me excited by beating two top 25 teams last year. But when I say I'm excited, I'm excited for like five or six wins. Like I, I can't, I'm never going to. I mean, we're uh, excited for seven wins yeah, yeah, for like, Mizzou. I, I'm not sure I'm ever going to reach a level where I get, just fully invest in Illinois football. I care more about the basketball side of things because they have a legitimate shot at it. But football, I don't think they're ever going to have a shot and it's just going to become even harder with the way things are going, the way that they're moving towards these three power conferences. Can Mizzou be that way? Where you're more excited for the basketball than the football? Yeah, they can. I, I think that's, it, that's it, it I, used to be that way. That's where I think my excitement is going to shift towards. 
I wonder if eventually we get to a place where it's not one for one, but it's almost like a Champions League where the Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, like they all just form one league together. Like forget calling it the Big Ten, the SEC. It just these are the best teams. Yeah. USC, uh, Oregon, uh, the powerhouses, right? We all know who they are on a year to year basis. It, those are the teams that are competing for titles year to year. I wonder if there will come a point in time where they say, you know what? These 20 teams, we're breaking away from the other conferences. This is where the college football playoff begins. It begins week one. And it's going to have the biggest TV deal we've ever seen in the history of college sports. And those teams just kind of combine for one. And then your secondary schools like in Illinois, Mizzou, K-State, South Carolina, those second tier, especially college football schools, they end up combining to a conference as well. So it's almost like a become the FCS now. Correct. Yeah. There's like a, a division one, a division one B, and you can move your way up and down depending on how you, you do in, in individual seasons. I, I almost feel like that's the do. way that this probably needs to go, but it will it go that way? Probably not because there's just more money to be yeah. had. If you do it this way, coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind, but next six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is your comfort service tax line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time for Alex's favorite time of the week. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line. T bone three, T bone. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. Let's start with this one. Which one's got to go? Mexican food edition: tacos, quesadillas, burritos, or enchiladas. I love Mexican food. I could tell. Why don't you start us off? I would do quesadillas. Quesadillas have the least amount of versatility here. Um, I would keep the tacos, burritos, and enchiladas by a wide margin over the quesadillas. You've never had a good quesadilla. I was going to say, I really actually enjoy me some quesadillas. Yeah. I think I'd get rid of the tacos here. Because well, that, I'm assuming it's hard-shelled tacos, and I don't I mean, like you could them. go either way. But the burrito would be a soft-shelled taco. Your taco could be a soft-shelled right? taco. Is that right? Burritos a got a lot, a lot more girth to it in terms of the... Uh, the tortilla. That's, that's typically what I'm saying. There's a, a larger the burrito's shell. girthier than the tacos. I'd rather go with more substance, and I like the burritos. Yeah, but the street tacos are fantastic. I man. understand if it. You've never had a good street taco. I've had a good we'll, street we'll go taco. I like me some quesadillas. I love me some enchiladas. It really comes down to taco or burrito. I think I'm gonna get rid of the taco. Okay. See, I think I would. I don't know. I. I would probably. I'm a sauce guy as well, so the enchiladas. I know. Say. I love. Yeah. Me some see, enchiladas. I gotta get rid of the enchilada. I'm not big oh, on like covered it in terrible sauce. Decision. So. Okay. I'd get rid of the enchilada here. Are you kidding me? You you haven't lived until you've enjoyed an enchilada. One's got to go out of a starting rotation edition. Verlander, DeGrom, Alcantara, or Otani. Tanner, you want to get us started on this one? Yeah, I guess you're probably not going to like my answer. I'm going Otani. 
I think he's most hittable of those four pitchers. You said it's out of a rotation. I, yeah. That doesn't mean I'm getting rid of his bat. He can be a starter in my lineup. No, but yeah, no, that's a stupid, as a as a pitcher, a as a pitcher, Otani I think is the most hittable of those four. I'd get rid of Shohei. Degrom. Show him the door it's, because he's out. That's terrible dad joke. Degrom. Degrom breaks halfway through the season, so that's what I'm going with too. Yeah. I want a guy who doesn't break. When he's healthy. Unhittable. He is, but he only goes five yeah. innings, and he he it, went it, six and two thirds last night. Yes, sir. All right, congratulations. I saw, I saw an overlay of his fastball and slider. How <laughs> would you rank these? The two guys that I'm not getting rid of are Alcantara number one and Verlander number two. See, I yeah, yeah I would I go Shohei three yeah. and Degrom yeah, you're four. Right. Uh, part of me wants to do Shohei, but yeah, I think I gotta go Verlander and Alcantara. I would go Alcantara one. I would go Degrom two. Verlander three because of his age, and then Otani four. One's got to go. Playoff importance. Starting pitching, relief pitching, defense, or offense. Which one's got to go? I think it's I think it's relief pitching. I think that's the way playoffs have now turned because you're going to them so early and you have to have so many weapons that can be so, so relief impactful. pitching is the most important. Yeah, most important. Oh yeah, so I guess that's not going to go. Sorry. Uh, I wasn't trying to correct you or anything. I was going to let you go. I was about to just say that it's gone. So making sure that the audience understood. I'll go defense. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'd go defense because you got to have elite pitching and then you got to have an offense that can find a way to scrap across some runs. Defensively, I think you could see a bad team like Philly who can't play defense. Not Keith Hernandez approved. (laughs) I think they could go win a playoff series and you wouldn't. I don't think you'd worry about their defense. So I'd say defense has got to go. I think in the previous format where you had off days, I would have probably gone starting pitching here because if you had, like if you had told me you're good at three of these things and average at the other, which one is it the most? Which one can you get away with being average at? I would say the starting pitching would be that one previously, but with no off days, I think starting pitching becomes more important this year. So moving forward, I actually would go against that, and I think I'm with you guys. I think I would go defense as being the least important of the four. It took you a while to get there, but you got there. Hey. One's gotta go. City visit edition. Las Vegas, Chicago, Miami, or New York? This one's simple. New York. Have you been? I've been. Liked it, but not as much as... Well, I've never been to Miami, so I can't say Miami. I've heard it's incredible, so that's why Miami's on here. Never been to Miami, but I know it'll be a good time. Vegas is is the goat of all of these. enjoyable place to go. And I think the food in Chicago is better. I enjoy Chicago. And I feel like New York City is a lot more hectic than Chicago. Yeah. So that's why I think I would get rid of New York. I think I'm with you. I think I'd get rid of New York. I I enjoyed Las Vegas when I went. I mean, that's a stay. I've never been to Miami, but I know it'd be a good time. And Chicago, I enjoy going to Chicago. So I I think I would get rid of New York here. If you get rid of Vegas, we're going to have issues. So I've never been to New York, and that's what's making it difficult for me. I'm going in October. Very excited to watch Mets versus Cardinals in the NLCS. Make sure you check out Michael Scott's favorite pizza spot. Sabaros. Come on, man. Get the reference. I I knew what you were referencing. I I think I'm going to skip that. (laughs) I think I might go Vegas. Oh, my God. No, I I like Las Vegas. Don't get me wrong. But you're going to get rid of the place that you like and you've been, and you're going to keep the spot that you've never been. Yeah, because I, I think that... You're going to keep the Knowing big Knowing my own sensibilities, I think I would enjoy New York for a greater quantity of oh. trips. Just because you think you'd be taken advantage of in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's true. Feels like you'd be stabbed that, in Vegas. Is that what the worry that is? That wasn't the problem. My wallet definitely was, though. Um, Stop I mean, spending money on Peloton. Another man. conversation Stop losing for at the gamble. another day.
One's gotta go table. HBO show or I guess just drama edition. The Wire, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, or Game of Thrones? Can I give an honesty moment here? I, I haven't seen, seen two of, two of these. Uh, I've seen at least portions of all four of these. I've seen the entirety of The Wire and Breaking Bad. Couldn't get into Mad Men. It just wasn't for me. It. Now, I know that John Hamm is a local celebrity, so we're supposed to love everything that he does. I, I, didn't, wow. I didn't like Mad Men. It didn't do anything for me. I wanted to like it. I tried. I got through like two seasons of it. It just never really why, grabbed why, me. Why don't you just knock the arch down? So that's the one that I've got to go. <laughs> yeah, why don't you just get rid of all of St. Louis? You want to get rid of T-Ravs while you're at it? No, T-Ravs are great. Uh, I've I've only seen Breaking Bad and Mad Men. I have not seen The Wire and I have not seen Game of Thrones. Did you like Mad Men? Loved Mad Men. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to get rid of Game of Thrones here because... I, I don't know. Just the sound of it doesn't sound exciting to me. Oh, I've, Game of Thrones. Really I've never got into like that. The fantasy stuff. That and the old school. You know, I'm like talking about like. No. I'm trying to like that era. Like medieval. Yeah, kind of medieval, medieval era. Like that medieval speak era. I haven't gotten into that. I'll so. say this. I didn't think because I had given Game of Thrones a try when I was younger and I didn't find it that enjoyable like the first episode or two. And I'm not really into that medieval stuff either. But then when I just said, you know what, I'm going to sit, I'm just going to power through the first season. If I like it, then I'm yeah. going to continue on. It actually shocked me how much I really enjoyed it. Well, uh, sooner or later, I, I'll sit down and watch I would it. Get, so I haven't seen Mad Men or The Wire. I've seen Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad, and I think they're both phenomenal, so they stay. I'm getting rid of The Wire because of the name. I just don't like The Wire. Yeah, The Wire kind of boring rid of it me. for the name. I've heard The Done. Wire's incredible. Dude, I just need to sit down and watch it. It is unbelievable. Um, Problem I, is, it's like new seasons come up of other things that Katie and I want to watch, and it's like, let's watch this first. And then you get 10 seasons in, and it's like, damn, now i got to start finish this before we start another one. So I would recommend, by the way, there's a new one that came out by the same director from the wire it's called we own this city oh yeah i've heard it this is i've heard that's really good excellent that's got uh what's his um can't remember his name is the punisher yeah um john oh, yeah. bird the guy that was in yeah. the walking Dead. yeah yeah i think that's yeah. right he's he's really good in it so i i highly recommend that one's gotta go worst possible playoff team edition so let's say that one of these teams has got to go in terms of your enjoyment of watching the playoffs, the team you don't want to see in the playoffs. The Brewers, Twins, Guardians, or White Sox. Which one would you least like to see in the playoffs this year? Well, White Sox are saying, because I want to see what happens with TLR in the playoffs. It's going to be napping. <laughs> Honestly, it's either the Twins or the Guardians, because I think the Brewers getting in means they'll play the Cardinals, and that would be a intriguing playoff series. It's either the Twins or the Guardians, and I think the... I think the Guardians have more exciting players, so I'll get rid of the Twins here. See, I'm getting rid of the Guardians because, one, the White Sox get the TLR connection. They got some star power on their team. The Brewers, I just want to see TLR in the playoffs. That's I, just, I want to see if a fan has to tell them to do something. Walks and two I, strikes. Just, I really want to see uh, that. The Brewers, I think the Brewers would be fun because what Alex is saying, they're probably, if they get in, they're probably playing the Cardinals, which would be an awesome first-round series. And then, to me, I would take Minnesota because I think they've just got star power. Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton. Uh, I look at the Guardians. I know they're a good team. And I know Jose Ramirez is on that team. I don't understand why they're a good team. <laughs> I don't exactly. either. Some like, are awful. I don't recognize half the guys on that team, and yet they're awesome. So, Have you seen Stephen Kwan is, like, really good again? Yeah. Suddenly? I thought we were going to get Shane Bieber in a trade. What, they had a bullpen arm. Kloss, I think is his name. That dude's awesome. Kloss the ball? <laughs> No, that ain't. They him. do it every year. They have no payroll whatsoever. Yeah. And then you watch them, it's like, yeah, 90 wins. And 90 wins. 90 wins. I don't want to see them in the playoffs. I don't know any of them. <laughs> so the get them out of here. Yeah, they're, they're kind of, for me, the slightly more recognizable version of the Rays. And I'm, I'm good without that. I don't need that in my life. Alex, what are you doing this week weekend? 
doing some good for the kids. Well, I'm expecting you two to come on out to the Lou Fuse Chrysler Jeep Dodge and Ram dealership in O'Fallon, Missouri, because it's the summer of giving school supply drive. I do need and school supplies. Come on out. No, you got to bring school supplies to donate, man. You can't take oh, them. Jeez, sorry. Creed. Got it wrong. We got a ticket blast, too. So you come on out, 3480 State Highway, K in O'Fallon, Missouri. Stop by, drop off the school supply donation, T-Bone. Don't take any. Drop them off, and you, you get registered to win the grand prize. You and a guest get to go to a three-night stay at the Dreams Jade Resort and Spa in Riviera, Cancun. Want, well, I meant the guest because T-Bone wouldn't be able to take anybody. But it's courtesy of Travel House. So come on out and register to win that. By the way, you good. guys can't win. Be a Plus, good, good opening line. Hey, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to Cancun. Trip. Would you like to join me? I'm also yeah, giving away pairs of Blues tickets. This might be Hit more up your line. alley here for the upcoming Blues game. Every 15 minutes, I'm giving away a pair of Blues tickets to the upcoming season. So again, Lou Fuse, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. Come on out there tomorrow from 12 to 2. For more details, check it out, 101 ESPN.com. Where do they go? Lou Fuse, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram. Or get more details of where and when at 101ESPN.com. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. if you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. Have a fantastic weekend. We will be back on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. Alex might even stick around with them here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.